It's time. <laughs> this monkey for now Frankenstein I know I'd go from rags to riches why a four-year-old child could understand this report run out and find me a four-year-old child I can't make a head or tail out of it Baravelli you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy and I bet he was glad to get rid of it Clips from a lot of really good movies in that intro. I hope you all enjoyed it because that's pretty much all you're going to get. <laughs> Julius sucks top 100. Uh, today we're going 40 to 31. My God, we still have like a month worth of these shows left. <laughs> we'll get through it. It'll be all right. Scott, you won last week. Again, yeah, the broken record. Again. Yeah, just Again. repeating. Um, you listen, keep telling us the bottom's going to drop out. When's that going to happen? I have to say, evil dies tonight. Um, <laughs> it's a quota, a recent film. Um, I will not be winning Your List Sucks this evening. In fact, I may be coming in last. Um, I, I know, again, I, this whole thing series, I have been underestimating everyone's ability to just tank their own lists. At the same time, I can't see a world in which I finish higher than third tonight. So, Guys, it's up for grabs. All right. Um, I don't remember who came in second last week. Arboru. I'll, I'll go to Arboru next because I said his name. Rue. Um, Scott's not feeling confident. The uh, the king may be ready to, to fall off the off the throne there. Look, I, I, I said it before. I think my list from here on out is legitimately a good list every time. Um, and if, if you and Scott's taste don't match... I might sneak in there, maybe. All I'm, I'm going to eat my nerves. My face is going to show me, show y'all what's happening with the Knicks, and I'm going to save my movies, and we're going to have fun. All right. Now we'll go over to Adelaide Spence. How you feel about you? You've been uh, surprisingly doing well, much better than I think anybody expected you to do throughout this show so far. How you going to do tonight? You can inflate my ego all you want, Kirk. I know I'm losing tonight. I have never been more confident in anything in my life. I'm going to be your fucking punching back today, buddy. I have prepared. Okay, Jake. So Scott's <laughs> losing tonight. Spence is losing tonight. Rue's a strong maybe. Where are you going to fall into all that? Uh, after Anthony Michael Hall yells, evil dies tonight, there's one overzealous lady in the crowd who yells, evil dies tonight. And that's <laughs> how I feel right now. All right, well, let's get into it. Um, this is going to be our last week of no, of regular Yearless Sucks rules where nobody else gets to talk for the bottom three. So enjoy it or, you know, however you take that. But, Scott, we'll start with you. Give us your 40 through 38. I just want to say I'm glad you said that because now Spence does not get to talk about Band Slam, which is my number 40. Uh, my number 39 is clueless and my number 38 is quiz show okay this band slam this is my uh fu pick to everyone out there who's saying that my list is boring and safe and just kowtowing to kirk's taste because um 
somehow so again somehow this movie has shown up before in a top 100 but um i think i think cameron holtzman and i are probably the only two people on earth who have this movie in our top 100 so we just both happen to be in this community um i've said this before but this is my high school musical um it came out around the same time for me i was 14 years old um this was like the high school musical for kids who were a little bit different and liked different music. And that was me. Um, and they referenced a lot of, you know, bands that I was into at the time, including, my, you know, Arcade Fire, my favorite band. Um, and so this movie just, it, it really spoke to me at the time. I watched it a lot when it came out. And then a few years ago, I came across it and I on online or something. And I was like, oh no, like this movie probably does not hold up. I put it on and within two minutes. I was like cracking up laughing just as hard as the first time I watched it. This movie is a gem. Um, it has such fun performances. Galen Connell, who plays the main kid, is great as Will, the band manager. Vanessa Hudgens is a ton of fun as the emo girl that he has a crush on. She has like this great, really weird way of re reading her lines in the movie. And like the, the band breaks out of the lunchroom she's like how he's like how big is this band slam thing around here and she goes texas high school football big and her delivery of the line is just great yeah sam the five is silent um the music is is great it's a legitimately funny movie i love lisa kudrow um as the mom um she's a very believable mom some of the conversations she has with will are conversations i've had with my own mom um so look, it's not the 40th best movie of all time, but it's a movie that is personal to me. And um, I personally, I think it holds up. I think it is an objectively enjoyable movie. Um, even, you know, again, I don't expect anyone else to have it at 40, but Band Slam, please check it out. It's a ton of fun. Uh, 39 Clueless, the quintessential 90s comedy, one of my favorite comedies, period. Um a hilarious adaptation of the Jane Austen novel. Like this is this is how you do a modern adaptation of um, of a classic work of literature like that. You know, great sort of period ev evocation of the period. Um, the the cost, the outfits, and all of that are just on point. Just such a funny script as well um, by Amy Heckerling. Uh, just share is share is such a likable character. Like I think that. Um, I mean, Alicia Silverstone's performance was perfect. And what I like is the movie just has, it has a real affection for her at the beginning. Like she is, she's vapid. Yeah, she's kind of dumb, but the movie still sees the best in her. And the rest of the movie is about her, like realizing how, like that she can be a good person. Like when, when she helps the teachers fall in love, like it, she does it at first because she wants to get a good grade. But then once she actually sees the, you know, the romance that develops between them, she's like, Oh, this is so sweet. And it just like, it turns her into a, starts to turn her into a good person. Again, she starts, she starts out doing things because she thinks it's going to benefit her, but then she turns out to enjoy them because they turn out to be just good things to do. And Brittany Murphy is, is a lot of fun as the uh, girl, Ty, who is the new girl in school. Um, it's just a, it's a really funny, um, sweet movie, um, and I think it, it holds up. It, I mean, it's very of the era, but it also holds up to this day. I think it pulls off that balance really well. So Clueless is a classic. And then my 38 um, is Quiz Show. This movie is very underrated. I don't know why it doesn't get talked about more. Um, I said this the last time I watched it, but 
this is like a Aaron Sorkin movie that wasn't written by Aaron Sorkin. Like the dialogue has that snap to it. Uh, Paul Atanasio wrote the screenplay, former film critic. It's a, it's one of my favorite screenplays, honestly. It has that, that snap to it. It's like a story that you feel like you could see Sorkin taking on. It has some like theatrical moments to it, particularly John Turturro, who is this, you know, very gregarious guy, Herbert Simple, who is like the, champion when the movie starts on this game show 21 he ends up getting basically bought out because he's a he's a jewish guy and people don't you know the audiences don't respond to him because of that so it turns into a really interesting movie about class and race um and charles van doren who's ray Fiennes' character becomes the new champion and is like this all-american you know from an elite family intellectual guy um and so it's about like the revolution of television um, and the way that that just like permeated everyone's homes. You see all these scenes of everyone like watching the game show just captivated in front of the TV. Um, and it's also a really smart movie about, again, the the choices we make to platform certain people due to demographic factors and, you know, the way that we think audiences are going to respond. Um Rob Morrow, Rob Morrow gives a great performance as like the lawyer who ends up investigating all of this. It kind of turns into like this investigative thriller, which is which is cool. Some of the scenes between him and Van Doren are really tense because they like each know things about the other person, but like aren't ready to reveal them yet. And Paul Schofield also got nominated for an Oscar. He plays Van Doren's dad. Um, he just has some really great scenes as like this old guy college professor. Um, one of my favorite lines is he's like, if you look around the table and you can't tell who the sucker is, it's you. Um, a lot of smart dialogue in the movie and a great cameo by Martin Scorsese as well. Um, so Quiz Show is a movie that should get talked about more, especially in this community where we're all about playing trivia. That's why we're all here. Um, this is a movie about a game show, first and foremost. So I love the movie. And Robert Redford, it's weekly Robert Redford shout out because he directed it. All right, uh, Band Slam. Uh, finally got to see this. Finally watched this after hearing you talk about it for you know however long. Um, top one hundred, you're nuts. You're insane for putting us on your top one hundred. That yeah. being said, it wasn't a horrible movie. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was it, I was batting down the hatches for a pretty terrible experience. Wasn't that bad? Felicia Hudson's. I'm not a fan of her like affectation in this movie. Um, just didn't do it for me. The main kid, um, the the dollar store shy, dollar store Shia LaBeouf. Um, <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. He kept making these faces where I thought he was going to pull out a gun at some point and make this a completely different movie because he just looks like a psychopath through half of it. Um, but it was it was all right. I mean, I'd put it above. I mean, I think it's a step above uh, whatever you know, High School Musical or whatever you're talking about. Um, you know, it's. I looked. I, I saw. It was like it was like School of Rock without any of the grownups. Like that was basically the plot, plot of this whole movie. Um, so yeah. again, um, not even talk about it in sense of top one hundred because that's nonsense to talk about. But uh, it's it's okay. Uh, Clueless, on the other hand, I'm not a big fan of. I really, I said before talking about other movies where I'm just not a fan of characters who are based on a stereotype or just a type of character or uh, caricature and that's all she is in this and I can't get past that um, I just I just really don't like this movie and then uh, quiz show is it's a really good solid adult drama 
Um, and I've seen it once and I don't remember a whole lot about it. It didn't stick with me a lot. So it's not a, I mean, it's a great movie. Um, but I didn't personally connect with it on the, on the first watch. I really enjoyed it. It's just like a, like a look at that time period and especially like television, that time period and what that was like. Um, I thought that was really cool. Uh, Toro is really great in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, solid pick. Again, that's top 100 worthy. No problem. Uh, so yeah, uh, hit or miss. Bottom three here. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, but let's move on to Spence and Spence's bottom three. I'm losing the fans. I'm going to commit fucking murder. Uh, my 40 is one of the best comedies of the 2010s. Pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. My number 39 is Blind Spotting. Yikes to a future episode. Hell yeah. My number 38 is Point Break. So pop star it's fucking hilarious uh, i think it parodies the music industry really well i love everything that andy sandberg has or i won't say everything i love what andy sandberg does as, as an actor i think he t- he has like this really interesting quality of sort of over like he plays really dumb fucking characters who you think would just del- delve into really obnoxious territory but he always makes them like likable and engaging and interesting and this movie just pulls it off really well, where he creates someone who is just so unaware of who he is and is an absolute douchebag, but you keep wanting to follow him and see what his journey is. And the fact that they're able to keep such a strong tone throughout the whole movie is fantastic. All the songs in it are genuinely like fun and good songs. Like I, I listen to So Humble and Equal Rights and Finest Girl over and over and over. This is... One of the best comedies 2010, one of the best music films of the 2010s, just fucking firing all cylinders. I don't give a shit if you don't like it, Kurt. This is amazing. Uh, and Point Break. Kurt gave this a half star. And you know what? That's about four to four and a half stars too low because it's one of the best action films of the 90s. Maybe the best decade for action films, so you know it's fucking top tier. Just surfing, robbing, very homoerotic scenes. Everything I need for the movie, really. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is just such a such a fun actor to watch because is he ever like amazing? No, but I want to watch everything he's in. Like he's 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 like he's like uh, Christopher Walken, where it's just like oh yeah, he's like acting, not really, and he's so engaging. It's such a fun and Patrick Swayze, genuinely genuinely a really interesting character in this film like like, like his, his performance is like not incredible but i just i want to watch about each sort of do his shit and i want to see him succeed and, and his rationale for it is so fucking engaging but also like they're literally fucking surfing around to rob banks <laughs> and gary Busey, rarely sane rarely i'm awesome in this film i love i love i love i love him and johnny utah's like fucking camaraderie just one of the most watchable films ever. And if you don't like it, well, you probably like the fucking uh, Penguins, I guess. I don't know. Great fucking movie. I don't know what that means. Uh, but, <laughs> okay, we'll start with Popstar. Uh, Spence, you ended your list last week, or towards the bottom of your list. I don't know if it was last one or not, but towards the end of your show yesterday, you talked about the uh, one of the worst music parodies of all time with walk hard and today you totally redeem yourself yes! with pop star one of the best musical parodies of all time i love this movie um i i don't want to like 
Andy Samberg or Lonely Island, like I should hate them. Um, and they walk that line so finely of just between like ridiculous and funny and just so ridiculous and stupid that's unwatchable. And they just they do that tightrope act, and it's, this movie is a perfect example of it. Um, yeah, he just takes that character that is basically you know that that, that pop star type and that you think those people are in real life and just kind of like cocks on its head just slightly, just a little bit, like not to the point where you think it's so insane. Like uh, it's still kind of plausible, but at the same time, ridiculous. And I love what he does with this character. I just love just like the day of the life stuff that, you know, the guy who he pays to punch him in the nuts to make him remember where he comes from, that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> like that is so fantastic. Uh, the supporting cast really solid. Um, Tim Meadows, of course, again, we'll give a shout out to Tim Meadows because he's fantastic at everything. Um, and he's just a perfect fit for a comedy like this. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this movie. Um, I, like I said, I shouldn't. It's not a me movie at all. Um, but these guys take those concepts and that comedy that isn't me and somehow make it for me. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a solid pick. I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, on the other hand, Point Break. Point Break has some really nice looking surfing scenes. And that is the only thing possibly nice I could say about this. The rest of this movie is absolute garbage. This movie sucks on every aspect. The acting is terrible. The story is terrible. The dialogue is terrible. The the cinematography is terrible. There is nothing good or positive can be said about this movie. It's an awful action movie. It's like the worst of what the nineties have to offer in it's like a it's almost a parody of nineties action movies because it's that bad. Like to think like, oh, they really were trying on this. Um just the way they the way they talk to each other, just how everybody screams for no reason, just yelling at each other all the time. I've used this I've used this comment before. Uh those two cops they're like making fun out of it, Gary Busey for thinking it's surfers. And you're like, no, you have no reason to be insulted for this. Like he has very good evidence as to why these are surfers. Why are you making fun out of him for this? Just because that's the kind of movie this is where everybody has to yell and insult each other because like that's their substitute for real drama or conflict. I uh, know this movie is absolute trash. So you're 50 50 right now, Spence, because that but point break is is gonna be a tough hole to dig out of. Uh Amaru. Let's move on to you and your bottom three, 40 through 38. All right. Uh, my number 40 is Logan. My number 39 is Warrior. And my nice number number, 30, and uh, my nice. number third my number 38 is my favorite Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible 3. All right. All right. Uh Logan. Patrick Stewart was utterly robbed of an Oscar nomination for this film. If it wasn't titled Logan, and then they just took everything X-Men out of it, he would have been a shoe-in for Best Supporting Actor. And that kind of sums up how great this film is. It is absolutely amazing. I'm not a fan of Westerns, um, but I'm a fan of comic book uh, movies, and it's the perfect blend of both. I will say, even though I love the scene, the... The, the stop at, at Eric LaSalle's house does bring the, the pace down a little bit too much. And the clone uh, X-24 is a little over the top. However, it makes for a badass uh, ending uh, ending action sequences and how much he's actually whooping uh, Logan's ass. Uh, so that's great about it. But the the movie is just does old man Logan so well. You can it's it's an homage to Hugh Jackman. It's an homage to the character. It's an homage to Professor X and Daphne Keene as X twenty three. 
as Laura is just visceral and and it's like a passing of the torch. Uh, I think this movie is phenomenal, and I will never not say uh, that Patrick Stewart was robbed of a fucking Oscar nomination for this film. Uh, so yeah, uh, and then thirty eight, Mission Impossible three. Uh, Mission Impossible three again, one of the best action franchises to have ever ever done it. And for me, I've said it before, I say it again, if you have a great villain, you have my money. Uh, and you are one of my more favorite films in a franchise. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is just utterly scary as shit in this film. They, they have the ensemble. They have the one-off people that go, you see with Maggie Q and uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, because uh, uh, I say Davies so much in my head. Uh, that that show up for one movie and are great great additions to Ving Rhames. Um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, Sean, whatever his name is. Why am I saying Penn and Bean and Simon Pegg? Simon that's Pegg. What, that's <laughs> Sean. Simon Pegg, thank you. Simon Pegg, the introduction of Benji, absolutely hilarious. Tom Cruise is good in this. It, it's it's just greatly paced, uh, great action, the best villain. The the one-liners Lawrence Fishburne just pitches in this just hit every fucking time. Uh, I, it's the most fun I have um, in any Mission Impossible uh, film. And again, just the the most menacing villain to, to pay off the opening scene of him counting down and then absolutely pay it off at the end. Uh, and then you're like, okay, so that's why that, that didn't work. Or that's why that's, that uh, Michelle Monaghan uh, isn't actually dead. Sure, I love every second of this film. Uh, it, it was the turn for Mission Impossible 2. Uh, and and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, did somebody yikes Warrior? Yes. Spencer. Okay. All right, okay. Okay, so Logan. Yeah, this was just such a perfect send-off for this character. Uh, they got it so right. And if the movie feels so much like a like a, that gritty X Men Marvel feel, and I'm talking Mar not Marvel movies, I'm talking Marvel comics, just that that sense of like things aren't going to get better. That 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 very pessimistic feel that Marvel comics have is captured so well in, in this movie. Um, yeah, X twenty three is great. Uh, Stephen Merchant's Caliban is fantastic. Um, it's just such a just taking. Uh, just a character that's been in all these big blockbusters and making such a relatively small movie about him and such a character driven movie about him and doing it so well, this could have so easily fell on its face. Um, I'm kind of, I'm like over the R rated superhero genre. Um, but this one does it great. Like I think it, it really earns except for Hey driver. That's like the one thing we're like, okay, but the rest of the movie is very much earns that like uses the R rating uh, to its advantage, and you see, like, okay, yeah, this definitely has to be R-rated. Um, but yeah, that's a great pick. This is something I haven't gone back to enough, and I need to, and this is could be one of my top superhero movies. It definitely deserves to be. It's like, on a technical level, it is one of the best. Like, it's, it, it, it rises above the genre in so many it ways. Is a rough, it is a rough movie to go back to, because it, it, it's a lot to yeah, watch. Yeah, it is. Um, but, it, but it's fantastic. That's a good pick. Um, and then Mission Possible 3, um, I like this one, um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman obviously is the main reason. I mean, he's a selling point of this. He's so good in this. Um, just that kind of, like, he's a very stereotypical, like, the, the character itself is a very stereotypical, uh, you know, spy movie villain. And on on the page, I don't think there's a lot there, but he takes it and, does, and just makes it so, 
so unique and such so, so scary. Um, and you don't you look at Philip Seymour Hoffman, you don't think scary, but he does it so well in this. Um, and I just love the little things in this movie, like how in the, you know a lot of the future movies, like so much of the technology is just a given and it's just there. I love the scenes where like they're they're making the mask and they're uploading the voice chip and everything, and just it, it gives it just such more like a grounded feel. And it says like a lot more. I mean, obviously not as much as the first. I haven't seen the second one, but the first one was very much just like we talked about before, just like a spy movie. Uh, the other ones kind of get a little more outrageous. This one feels like in the middle where it's it still feels like has a little bit of that real world spy feel to it. Um, so yeah, this one was this one's a lot of fun. Um, that's it for your bottom three. So Jake, forty for thirty-eight. At number forty, I have the fly. At number thirty-nine, I have Minority Report. Yikes! And yikes! Just yikes! Oh, cool. And at number thirty-eight, I have Heat, which I think has already been yikesed. I yeah, I had that earlier. Okay. So the fly. Uh, the fly. I think David Cronenberg's the fly. I think there's a case to be made that Jeff Goldblum's uh, casting and performance in this is like maybe the greatest of all time. Uh, the movie demands certain things of this character. It's basically like uh, it opens with like, what if there was a, a sexy scientist, right? It's like sexy scientist. That wasn't really a thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's got to be nebbish and dorky, but he also needs to fuck. Like that's, that's what the movie is for the first little bit. <laughs> and uh, Jurassic Park a few years later ends up basically like plagiarizing his casting and using him again as a scientist who fucks. Uh, but this movie also is like, you're also going to need to transition into being a part fly and part man. And uh, the movie, he, he does that too. He turns this sexy scientist character that on paper shouldn't work and then starts uh, interweaving uh, fly DNA with this character. And rather than being campy at all, it's just downright uh, disturbing and tragic. So uh, I love The Fly. It's a movie that like shouldn't work, but it, it just does perfectly. And skipping over Minority Report to go to Heat. Uh, Heat, uh, growing up, this was uh, one of my dad's favorite movies. So I watched this over and over again. Uh, I think this is the best uh, Michael Mann movie. It's his most operatic work. Um, it's taking Pacino and De Niro and reuniting them on screen. Uh, for the first time that they actually share scenes, I believe, because in The Godfather Part Two, they don't actually share the screen, uh, even though they only briefly share the screen in this. And this is just one of the most effortlessly uh, cool movies. Um, I wish that they made movies like this still. It feels like the new version of um, this kind of uh, uh, macho brutality has been replaced by some sort of uh, edginess or something. And um, yeah, I, I really fucking love Heat. I, there's a podcast where they do minute by minute Heat and I could listen to that. I should listen to that. And, and there's also, and I had this as well, um, this week, actually, if you listen to the rewatchables, they did um, Heat for the third time and they had Michael Mann on the episode. And it's fascinating, to, it's fascinating to listen to him talk about the movie. Like, I highly, highly recommend the Give us the a podcast. tidbit from it. 
Yeah. So I was going to say the the diner scene, which is obviously like, which is to me is the best scene in the movie, um, despite the fact that there's all these mind blowing action scenes. Like the best movie, the best scene is like when these two guys just sit down at a diner. But he talks about how he chose this particular diner because like everything in the diner is like black and white. And when the way he shot the scene, like he didn't want there to be anything in the background distracting you whatsoever. He wanted it to be like all completely neutral. No, not you're not looking at anything in the frame. You're just looking at these guys and you're just focusing on what their words are. And it, I mean, it, it comes across in the scene because it's just like one of the most riveting scenes of two people talking. Um, and especially when you just combine like the mythos of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, like how, how much it was like built up that, Oh, here, they're finally going to like share a scene together. Um, and then for it to be that scene and for it to be, just be so perfectly executed is amazing. But yeah, this is just an amazing movie. Just the coolest movie. Yeah. It's about, it's just a great movie about guys being dudes, basically. Um, for three <laughs> hours. um yeah. great action. Again, Pacino's performance is, is just unhinged in the best possible way. Like this is where he starts to like, I feel like just become like the, you know, that Al Pacino that we all know him to be, but like, he still has enough, like the grounded moments, but like when he loses it, it is some of the funniest stuff ever. And intentionally so, or, you know, he's improv like the, t the TV set scene um, where he just destroys the TV set is just unbelievable. But, you know, it's a great psychological story between these two guys where again, you see both sides of the equation, right? Like Neil McCauley is like kind of a disturbing you know, I mean, he is a disturbing, like, criminal, but um, you still, like, identify with or, you know, identify with the way that he goes about his job in such an efficient and effective, like, manner in the same way that Al Pacino does as the cop. Um, plus, it's hard to see, like, Neil McCauley as being, like, super evil when you have, like, one of the most evil dudes ever in this movie, one of the most evil characters ever in Wayne Grow, played by Kevin Gage. And Kevin Gage actually went to prison in real life and everyone referred to him as Wayne grow in prison, um, <laughs> which is just another fun fact, but um, yeah, he, he is just like amazing. Like I, I don't have anything else to say except yeah, Michael Mann facts, as Paul said in the chat, go listen to that rewatchables episode. All right. Uh, we'll get back to heat. Let's talk about the fly for a minute. Fly might be one of the most perfectly paced horror movies of all time. You know, it's 90 minutes. There's basically just three characters. It opens in the middle of Jeff Goldblum and Gene Davis's first conversation, and it ends as soon as the story ends. Um, and there's no there's no fluff to it. That's one of the things I love so much about this movie is the pacing. Um, yeah, Goldblum is amazing. He's perfect. Gina Davis is really good. Um, the effects, for the most part, are really solid. There's some stuff with the makeup and the costumes where you can you know see like scenes and stuff where so it's there's a, there's there's some flaws there, um, but there's so much like so much great just the, the wall crawling effects, um, and it's horrifying. I think it does a great job of taking like a cheesy old um 50s horror movie like drive-in horror movie and kind of keeping like respecting the framework but totally making it something new um so yeah this is a really solid pick this is another one if i rewatch this enough could end up floating around my top 100 because just it's a, just such a well-made well-crafted movie uh skip minority report uh he yeah he is great um they i just think they caught pacino Obviously, I wish they'd done more work together, but I think they caught the two of them just at such a great point in their careers because that mid-90s time is when, like, before they really started to become what we see now with, like, the 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 both of them kind of be a little bit parody of themselves. Um, 
they're still, you know, completely, you know, firing all cylinders, but they have that age and that experience that comes through a lot in this movie. Um, I just love the relationship between the two of them. I love that they're completely on the opposite ends. They're complete enemies, but at the same time, they get each other and no one else in their lives gets them. And so they have that connection. I love that so much. I love, I love movies about people who come together because they have absolutely nobody else and for no other reason. You know, I love those movies where it's just like, this is it. We, we understand. Um, and that's, what's so great about the diner scenes. Like they're, they're just two sides. Like you said, it's got two sides of the same coin and they, uh, and you know, they, they both have that drive. They both have that passion. They both have that code they live by. And um, they're just two such great characters. Um, the thing that really keeps this from being like just a super high tier movie to me is the length and just all the other stuff that isn't them. Like once the subplots start to pop up, I kind of you know kind of lose interest a little bit. It's so much about Pacino, so much about De Niro, um, but I don't care that much about Val Kilmer. I don't care that much about Natalie Portman. Um, I just want to see these two. Like if this was like a two hour and ten minute movie with just the two of them, um, this would be like a five star, star all time great movie for me. Uh, but it's still a really solid pick. Um, so nobody else had heat, right? Surely you right. at least care about Dennis Haysbert, like the poor truck driver who just gets <laughs> shafted. <in the> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the uh, meat of the order. Scott, let's just start with your 37. Jesus, take the wheel. Days to confuse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you already had it, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So here we go. Uh, this is my first Linklater movie actually on my list. It will not be the last as a surprise to no one. Um, I know what Kirk's take is on this movie. And like, here's what I will say. Um, I just I think it's a weird take because I think the entire movie is told from a completely judgment free perspective. Like that's what Linklater is all about. Like he is not saying that any character is like the good guy, the bad guy. I mean, O'Banion's a little bit of a douche, but um, everybody is just they are people, and he is not judging any of them for their behavior because they're high school kids. They're expressing themselves and. The character that you, the characters that you like, or the characters that you identify with, almost say more about the viewer than it does about anything that Linklater is doing in the movie. That's what I will say because, again, there's a real freedom about the way that he directs all of these characters. And if you look into the way that this movie um, was, uh, the filming of this movie, um, all the actors felt like it was just like such an inspirational experience for them, and they still talk about how it was because he just like let them exist right they were high school kids at the time you know they had parents or whatever who might have ha had requirements and stuff for them but link later was like he wasn't their dad he was just like i want you to just be live your truth and i think all that comes out on screen it's just like such a fun and identifiable movie about like those times in high school like those magical nights in high school when like the most important things in the world seemed like what girl am I going to talk to or guy am I going to talk to like at the party tonight? You know, what kind of car am I like, am I going to get the car for tonight? Who's bringing the keg, you know, all this type of stuff. Um, and it, it just, it, it's a very nostalgic movie. It makes you, you know, long for those high school days. It's funny. There's a lot of, you know, humorous moments. It's got great characters. Um, and it just has, you know, that link later magic, the way he makes that slice of life stuff. Um, just so captivating and makes you want to live in the world in his worlds with his characters um 
yeah, I mean this this movie's a classic. Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a a quote from a link later. I'll paraphrase where uh, he said like the producers got a hold of his cut and they were like, uh, yeah, the uh, scene where after the baseball game everyone is shaking hands and saying good game, good game, like half heartedly, like just tapping each other's hands. They're like that doesn't really need to be in the movie, and he was like, that's the whole point of the movie you missed the point of the movie if you think that removing that from the movie uh is uh going to serve the ultimate uh goal of the movie uh which it's uh kind of um i guess it's about nostalgia every character in the movie one thing almost every character has in common is uh they're reminiscing about how the 60s were better than the 70s and in that they're um almost uh, failing to see that uh, how great they have it in this moment. Uh, so, yeah, I really love this movie. I can't imagine not liking it. So, Kirk, why do you hate this movie? Two other things real quick. Incredible soundtrack. They spent, like, over half the movie's budget was just on getting the rights to the music. And also, shout out Parker Posey. That was the other thing I forgot to say. Uh, yeah, you're Scott. You know, you know my take on this, Scott. Everybody. I've talked about this movie ad nauseum. Um, I'm tired of having to tell everybody everything that's wrong with this movie. Um, Scott says they're all high school kids. McConaughey's not. Definitely no. not. And he shouldn't but be again, judged. In my, in my experience, no one thinks that dude is cool. He is the weird guy that hangs me? around they, the high school. Him. I think, I think the movie thinks he's cool. I think Linklater I thinks he's cool. Because no. Linkl- I've, ne- I've said this before. I've never known a, uh, a director who had such a reverence for douchebags. As Linklater does, guy loves no, douchebags, and I, I he's think... and he is just yeah. I, I just I I don't I mean I harp on McConaughey because that's the most honest thing, but I don't care about anybody in this movie. I don't care. It just it's just such a yeah. I just I've, I've talked about it a lot. Like I'm not going to talk a ton about it because everybody knows my take on it. I've talked about it a lot. Uh, Spence and Amaru, you were smart. Didn't have this on your list. Tell us why. I put in the chat, I assume this was in Scott's top 10, because he doesn't shut up about it. So much so that I intended to watch it on my plane flight a couple weeks before we get to top 10s so I get a better opinion about this. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. Uh, haven't had the chance to, so you know what? Last time I saw it, that it was mediocre and boring, because I don't like slides of life films. Pretty simple. I've never wanted to watch this film, and I probably won't. Smart man. Wow. Yes, Bar. As a matter of fact, I did have that guy at my high school. All right. Um, Scott, let's move on to your number 36. Yes, let's please move on. Um, We missed (laughs) Halloween by a week, but uh, we do get my favorite scary movie of all time, The Blair Witch Project. Coho. Um, (laughs) The Blair Witch Project um, was the, the founder of found footage movies, but also the best found footage movie still um because what this movie really understands is like the fear of the unknown is the scariest thing in the world because in every horror movie when the boogeyman is revealed there is some sort of lack of there is some sort of tension that evaporates from the movie because before that there's this you know again unknown terror about who is this guy what does he look like what is he capable of um you know that that fear of the unknown like i said the blair witch project you never see the blair witch 
it is completely in your imagination and your imagination runs wild right because you start off with these documentary like sequences where they're interviewing all the people in Burkittsville and they're all like describing the Blair Witch differently right so you don't know what what it is like was this was it this hermit guy Rustin Parr who murdered these kids is it some supernatural being you have no idea and the movie never tries to explain it to you and so it becomes more terrifying because you're just running around in the woods looking for something and you don't even know what it is and again the movie never reveals it to you which is just a smart way of using their you know infinitesimal budget but also um a, just a great filmmaking technique and the movie like again for how little it was made for for the amateurish quote-unquote quality of it like it's a very well-made movie like the tech the filmmaking techniques on display are high level like there's some stuff in the final moments of at the house like i don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the Blair Witch project but some of the some of the, the techniques in in that scene the way that they use like sound in particular is is very inventive um it's not just like a gimmick movie of like what if it was real like what if we just made this movie where it looks like everything was real like this is a legit film um also the, the sad thing about this movie like heather donahue plays heather in the movie people hated her performance when the movie came out in 1999 and so much so that like she was like blackballed and like never had a career after this and watching it back, it's crazy because I think they just didn't like her because she was like a woman with a strong personality. She gives a fantastic performance in this movie for an amateur actor. Like the scene with her monologuing, the famous scene with her monologuing into the camera. It's on the poster. You, that is one of the most believable scenes of someone being legitimately terrified. Like, I mean, she has the snot running down her face. Like you actually believe she is out there in those woods and she is scared for her life. Um, so it's a, it's a great performance. The whole movie is again, a very efficient, like, like you said about the fly. I mean, it's less than 90 minutes, I think. Um, but scary as hell, very smartly made. And I want the criterion release so we can see the Sundance cut that has never been seen since Sundance in 1999 because there's a longer cut of the movie. And I think I just think in general, the criterion extras and everything would be really fascinating for this movie just because of the cultural impact it had. Yeah, I remember this movie came out and like found footage wasn't a thing. So, I mean, there were actually people like there was talk like, did this really happen? Is this movie really? Yeah. Like, people honestly didn't know. Um, and it took a while for like, like I think like like during award season, like the cast started coming out, and that was like when because like this was early internet too, so um, like this was like it, it, during award season they start coming on shows and stuff, and that's like when you saw okay they're actors, but like for like a long time people weren't sure. There's a lot of talk, and I think this is the first one. I think it's still one of the best. I think it like really set the standard. Um, it's done so well. Just you know, again, you know, just more about what you don't see than what you do see and how you know how the camera moves how the camera cuts the performances are great i think the performances you know the, the movie lives or dies by performance because if they're not scared you're not scared and how the the terror that they express in this and not just the terror but like the dread and the frustration like the things they go through in the daylight hours um are are, are so are just as just as uh intriguing as what happens at night yeah um and this is i remember when we saw this me and Kathy went and saw us with some friends. We were staying with our friends. We saw with them. We we were staying at their house that night, and we we're like they're like setting us up on their on their fold out sofa, and we're going to bed, and they're leaving the room, and they're about to turn the light. Like, can you leave the light on? And like, I slept. <laughs> swear, I left slept the light on for a week, thinking about that dude in the corner, and why did he go in the corner? What made him stand in that corner? Um. So yeah, this movie saved me a long time. I still watched it. Also, it got 
after a while, it came out, and then, like, by the time it came out on video, it, it was, like, cool to be like, oh, yeah, Blair, Blair Witch isn't scary. Blair Witch is scary as heck. This movie scares me every time I watch it. Um, Absolutely. Really, really solid pick. Everybody else on Blair Witch. Heather Donahue deserved an Oscar, I think. <laughs> I don't know if we'd go that far, but she is great. I think so. I think it's one of the most original performances of the past 30 years. I've never seen it. Just the clips. I've never seen it. Just the clips. Yeah, that's the other thing. That ending is so scary, too, like that final shot, because, because like, you know, because of the way that the film is, like, as a documentary found footage, like, when the credits roll, you know there's never going to be an answer as to what happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, you it. know what? You can, watch, like, you can watch uh, Blair Witch no, 2. Book, no. of Book of Shadows. <laughs> Book of Shadows. No. Moving on. The sequels never happen. Uh, Scott, what's your 35? Uh, okay, let's go back to Linklater Town. Uh, Before Sunrise. Uh, the first movie in the greatest trilogy of all time. Um, and my second favorite movie in the trilogy. Uh, just like the best movie about spontaneously falling in love with someone. That love at first sight. Um you know, this is, of course, again, the first movie in the trilogy. It's where Jesse and Celine meet on that train going to Vienna. And it's just about the magical night that they spend together. There's a Linklater documentary on the uh, criterion of, I forget, I think it's of the Before Trilogy. It's one of the ones I have. Um, and Ethan Hawke has a really interesting quote about, like, he says, Richard Linklater makes movies that everyone feels like they could make. Uh, but no one actually could except for him. Like these simple concepts like, oh, I'm just going to make a, a movie about like a people talking to each other. And that was slacker. Or I'm just going to make a movie about a guy and a girl meeting and spending a night together. Like these simple concepts. And that was before sunrise. But he turns it into this like three movie odyssey, right? Which like the first time you watch before sunrise, you're just you're overcome with like how wonderful this connection is between these people and um you know just how much you enjoy listening to them talk and then once you come back and watch it after the oh you've seen the other movies in the trilogy it is like a transcendent experience because you see how well everything was set up from the beginning how well the movies do like the themes of the movies dovetail with each other um you know they're each nine years apart um the movie like it just, they just get better with age they just get better the more that you've seen the other movies um again he's like just some of the best writing um because the movie is basically just a conversation between these characters um for an hour and 50 minutes so you have to like be engaged by what they're saying you have to be engaged by each character and you know their willingness their their open-heartedness i guess they're willing to just their willingness to just be very honest, speak their minds, but also they are interesting people. They are not stupid people. They are smart people. And it's interesting to listen to smart people talk about the big ideas in this movie, but also just to watch them fall in love and feel like you yourself are falling in love too. And I, I love to like the, their like decision-making towards the end of like, Oh, do we sleep together? Uh, they obviously want to sleep together, but it's like, but, you know, we know we're going to have to get on the train tomorrow and not see each other again. So, like, do we do we really do it because it's going to make um, make the, that connection between us probably even stronger? And we know that that connection is going to have to end or do we just kind of leave the mystery to it? I, I like it's a very um, unique way of, like, bringing that together, because otherwise, you know, you just 
expect that the movie is just going to give you that steamy scene at the end or whatever after all this man it's much smarter about that because Lynn Clater is just a smarter filmmaker and Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are um, just great smart smart performers so Before Sunrise again started off the best trilogy of all time anybody else have this look I'm okay <laughs> with movies that are dialogue heavy some of my favorite movies are dialogue heavy that's fine but not when the dialogue he- dialogue is just you know long-witted dorm room philosophy um i again link is not my guy and this is not my movie uh i do not like ethan hawk's character in in any other movie Ethan Hawke's character, I feel like, would be the antagonist who's trying to steal her away from the hero by proving like he's like <laughs> like the douchey, long-winded, you know, douchebag who's like, you know, hey, look how smart I am, look how great I am, let me, you know, take you away. And we'd have like a likable character, you know, falling in love with Julie Delpy. But because Link later film, the long-winded douchebag is the hero. Um, and yeah, I just I don't know about the rest of the trilogy because after I watched this one, I was not interested in seeing any more. This movie was, it's not a long movie, but it feels long because mm-hmm. he never shuts up. It's like, okay, we get it. You took a freshman philosophy class, comparative religion. You're so cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I did. And, and again, I mean, I feel like it's just, it's, he's a stand in for Linklater, him trying to tell us, like, listen to how smart I am and all the cool things I have to say about life. And you know um, what he is. I just, yeah, yeah, and it's it's it just doesn't work. Um, I guess no one else had this. Um, I thought at least some of you might. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, because everyone likes this movie except for Kirk. Kirk, I, I have to say, I I rarely enjoy listening to people talk about uh, movies they hate that I like as much as I like listening to you talk about how much you hate Richard Linklater. <laughs> That's You're right. He does like sympathize with characters that would traditionally be like the villainous douchebag in a movie. I never thought of it that way, but it's kind of true. Like. Yeah. He made a movie uh, like that uh, everybody wants some, which I love, which is about uh, a frat. And it's uh, about the less toxic side of fraternities, which is funny. I don't know. I like that movie a lot, too. But really, that seems like the, the conclusion of your thesis, basically. Okay. The gastrointestinal distress going on right now needs to stop. I won't comment on it. Uh, before Sunrise. We'll get your chance. It's my least favorite of the trilogy, but that's not to say that it's a bad movie. I think it's really great. I love this, this is a rare example of a slice of life movie that actually works for me because of the idea of like the timer on it, where it's just like like you know that yeah, they're just existing and they're together, but it is impossible for it to continue, basically. And seeing how they sort of like come to terms with their relationship as the time starts winding down, and they're both sort of sort of like questioning if it was even the right decision and then come to the end of it, they're just like, I can't let this go right away is heartbreaking. And it's fucking great. And it's the reason I, I, I dove into link later when I first found him, because I saw this, like I have to continue and I had to marathon the other two and then go to watch his other films. It's just, it's, it's fucking great. It's just not my pick of the three. Cause I think it's just a little slow and I don't super love the characters quite yet. Uh, I've been told for about, Two years now since I've been in this community to go watch this film, um, this trilogy, and I haven't done it yet. Sorry, Scott. Sorry, Peggy. You're good. <laughs> You're not good, but it's fine. Uh, all right. Uh, 34. 
uh, I guess it's slice of life night. I mean, that's just because we're getting into the high part of my list. But uh, next, I have 20th Century Women from director Mike Mills, one of my favorites. Um, I had the pleasure of actually seeing his new movie, which is coming out in a few weeks, uh, Come On, Come On, over the weekend. And the movies now, like the three movies he's made now, are make such an interesting trilogy to me. Like you have his first movie, Beginners, which is about his dad. You have this movie, which is about his mom. Then you have Come On, Come On, which is kind of about him imparting the lessons he learned from his dad and mom to a child. Um, so definitely watch Come On, Come On when it comes out. But anyway, um, 20th Century Women is a great slice of life movie and a unique perspective uh, of this kid. Um, yeah, I know it's not his first movie, sorry. But in the trilogy is what I meant, the unofficial trilogy. Uh, but anyway, uh, I he, this kid, this you know teenager, teenage boy who lives in a in this boarding house with um, his mom, who's Annette Benning, uh, this sort of hippie punk woman played by Greta Gerwig, who's like you know very caught up with the era and listening to the Talking Heads and all this stuff. is set in the seventies in California, and um, and also Billy Crudup, who's like. Uh, construction he's like he's like the man of the house who just like fixes everything and then uh the other one woman in the title is Elle Fanning who's like the girl that he has a crush on but is off like doing things with you know other boys because she's like more quote-unquote mature um just such well-written characters like the screenplay is amazing I love Mike Mills's style of writing in his movies he like he has these like little interludes of like literature where like you you read from like they read from books in this movie like little portions from books that i think really um adds texture to this world the screen the screenplays in general are just like really literary like the way that he describes characters like when he is the characters describe other characters when they're like in, um imparting memories of them recounting memories of them like it, it sounds like you're reading a book and i don't know i just love that it might not work for for everybody but like I, I love that style of writing and it just leads to some really poetic moments such well-written characters like i said and it may, there's an there's an unforgettable scene with greta gerwig at the dinner table um towards the end of the movie which i don't want to spoil um but i just love the perspective like i just love the perspective of like you're getting this you know teenage boy and the lessons he learns from three women at very at, at very different stages of their lives it's not a, it's not an experience you get to see a lot in coming of age movies and you know the annette benning says at one point or doesn't it take a man to raise a man or somebody says that at one point um and she said and annette benning says no i don't think so and that's kind of what the whole movie's about there's a lot of just great like one-liners um that just stick in your mind and yeah, Annette Benning not getting nominated for an Oscar. If we're gonna get on the Oscar snub train, um, egregious, egregious. Um, this is just a beautiful movie, and more people should check it out. Okay, yeah, I watched this um, for the show, and I'm really glad you put this ahead of before Sunrise Days Confused because I like this <laughs> movie. Um, it's I just like movies like this about again the relationship between people and outcasts. And their relationships between like people who just come together because they don't have anybody else, and they just kind of like form their own family. And I really like movies like about that. Um, I love the uh, kind of like the framing device, the way the story is told, 
like how everybody gets their own little segment of the movie and like mm-hmm. you know like you, characters are introduced but it's not till later where you get their full story and you kind of they become more alive everybody gets their their you know their chance to shine um i feel like this movie's been done a lot um this kind of story uh you know i guess you know billy crudup being in it, the relationship between uh, the main character now fanning you know obviously feel a lot like almost famous and the mother and everything and i think it's story you know the story's been done but i think the way this does it I, most of those movies don't give every character a chance to really do something like this one does like the, the what Annette Benning gets to do as a person in this movie, not just as the main character's mother is really interesting. Um, and she's great. Greta Gerwig is really good. I like her character. I like, you know, just, I just like everything she does. Uh, but she's, she's really solid in this. And yeah, um, I think it's a pretty solid pick. Uh, anybody else got anything to say on 20th century woman? I'll just I really say... like it. I barely remember a lot of it though. I got to watch it again. Haven't seen it, but I'll just say 2016 was stacked for lead actresses. Um, Doesn't matter. She belonged. <laughs> I, this is just a sort of fair movie for me. Like, no real negative thoughts about it. Again, I need to rewatch it. Uh, to me, it's sort of like, I, I remember it sort of as like lesser Bombach. I know he didn't do it. It, like, it gives that vibe for me. But I'm probably going to do a, a binge of Mike Mills eventually or just Gerwig as an actress because she's awesome. I just I need to I need to revisit it, but no like strong feelings on this right now. Okay, if we're done talking about twenty century women, we're gonna bounce back over to Adelaide with your number thirty-seven. This might be a yikes, Zodiac. Uh, yes, yikes to a future <laughs> yeah. episode. Come on, like theory some other week. Uh, my number thirty-six is uh, American Psycho. Hey, Todd, what the fuck? <laughs> there are some movies, which if you look at me, you're like, you like that? A few of them will come up. This is one of them. Uh, I think that this serves as like a fascinating criticism on toxic masculinity and sort of like the effect it had in 2000. I think that the idea of its place in like American capitalism and business is fascinating and doing it all through Bateman as like this untrustworthy protagonist is so incredible. He is fucking fantastic in this movie. I think the whole journey he goes on is just really engaging. And even and it's you, you, you don't really question, you sort of take this face value. He's like, oh, hey, the, the fucking business cards, oh, they're weird. So it's a core guy. I see what I see what he's saying. And then he just fucking brutalizes some people and starts hiring prostitutes. And, the, and it's just like no one seems to just like get what he's saying. And it's so I I love what um oh, I'm forgetting her name. Uh the, the Mary director. Heron. Mary, Mary Mary Heron. She is like the way that she frames the whole journey and taking from what I I haven't read the novel, but from what I understand, Brett, Brett Easton Ellis's novel is not super aware of what it is. And then Mary Heron taking me into like this super subversive and engaging just masterwork of a film. It's one of my favorite examples of an unreliable narrator. And I think it, I think it does it so well. There's a lot of films since then. I just, I, I, I look back like they, it couldn't even do this. A movie that people don't, most people don't even like. And this fucking accomplished so much. It's, it's just, it's, it's incredible. Plus Christian Bale running naked in a hallway at like peak fitness. Cannot complain. <laughs> So I watched this uh, this week for the first time since it came out, and I I don't know how to feel with it about it. I remember there was a there's a Simpsons episode where they go to Epcot Center, 
and they're like, hey, let's go see what people in the 50s thought life would be like in the 80s. And I feel like when we watch this movie, it's like, what do people in the 90s think about the 80s? Like, it's, it's, it just has that very, it's like a very, like, skewed 90s view of the 80s. Um, and I think it's well-directed. I'm like, I kind of wish she would have done more. But like, I don't know, like, I'm not real familiar with the rest of her body of work. She never really got, like, huge. Like one of the film and that's it. Yeah. And um, she's because um, I think that I, I'm not going to complain at all about the direction. I think I think it's a very well directed movie. The way it looks, like they use like a fisheye lens a lot, and just like the just different point of view and everything. Um, I think that's really well done. I think like the '80s satire is a little too over the top, especially with uh, Josh Lucas and uh, what's his name? Who's the other one? That's like Leto? the other Leto? Leto? not Jared Leto. Um, uh, the other one, the, the 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 back the other background guy. Um, what's his name? Anyway, um, his friends, like his group of friends, I think it's like a little too on the nose. Um, and it makes it like that makes for a fun horror movie where it's like, oh, it's like these like 80s, like yuppie guys who, you know, one of them's a serial killer. That's interesting. But I think like it pushes too hard. Justin Throw, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but I, but I think as far as like this, like the satire, like I think it just a little too hard on the nose. Um, but I didn't hate it. I didn't think like, again top one hundred, crazy talk. But um, and I, I think Bell's good. Now. I think just the way Bell goes from like and just that idea of him like it's, it's almost like that Dexter thing where it's like he has no feelings, he has no emotions, but he wants to like try to look it out. You know, like like when he talks about the music and it's obviously stuff he like it's not a, it's not his own ideas. Like it's stuff he's read and stuff he's heard, and he's just regurgitating because he thinks that's how people are supposed to talk to each other. Like that's really interesting to me. I think that character is interesting. Um, I think the movie just gets a little too wonky sometimes. But uh, everybody else on American Psycho. This movie is there. It exists. Um, it, I, I, I gave two shits about it when I watched it. I, I could see why people like it. I can see why people hate it. Um, I'm more on the not liking it side because it's just a why the fuck am I watching this? Sure. Cool. Move along. <laughs> Uh, this almost made my list. I love this movie. Um, it is definitely the better movie about toxic masculinity and toxic consumerism that came out between 1999 and 2000. Um, that's I will leave it at that. But um, yeah, uh, I'm already losing rough tonight. Takes. I don't really so care. Uh, the movie's great. Uh, that's Christian Bale's best performance, um, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, it's just like, again, toxic masculinity, toxic consumerism. It's like, what if this guy who just like consumes these products in like, you know, there's the long sequences of him just like describing the products. Like he's reading an infomercial or something. What if he consumes people in the same way? Fascinating idea. Like, I think the movie is all the better for being directed by a woman because yeah, Brett Easton Ellis is a super toxic dude. And this movie could have gone wrong in glamorizing what is going on. Kind of like I feel about the other movie, but, um, because you have Mary Heron directing it, I think that it resisted that temptation, and it's a really smart movie. Uh, yeah, uh, Mary Heron, uh, she did two things that I, I really like. Two other things, uh, she did uh, the Moth Diaries, which is like a thriller about like a, a boarding school that I really recommend. Super underrated. And uh, recently for CBC here in Canada, she did Alias Grace. Uh, which uh, is an adaptation of a Margaret Atwood novel, which is written by Sarah Polly. It is really good too. I'd recommend mm -hmm. checking out that miniseries about a what the first female serial killer. 
uh, basically. Um, yeah, I think that uh, this movie is. Uh, I used to really love it, and now I just kind of think it's a uh, edge lord trash. To be honest, uh, I, I kind of think that it's pushing a lot of buttons, like Brad Easton Ellis loves to push, and really all it's saying is, uh, aren't the uh, the one percenters um, the bad <laughs> uh don't they get away with a lot and do a lot of terrible things that hurt a lot of people and uh don't care uh yeah and uh, i think there's really good moments though in the movie it works a lot of the comedy really works for me it's just that ultimately uh i come down i come out of it uh not feeling like i gained much paul fun movies can be fun all right, Spence, number 35. 35 is my hint movie. Uh, see if y'all guessed it. Uh, my I don't have is it. Lilo and Stitch. Because huh. of the edit. Yep, the edit. I'm not sure if you guys know. Uh, the movie's like set in Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> for the chat. I love this film. It is one of my favorite Disney films ever. I think it has this great balance of comedy and joy and exploring just the universe and childhood and also just like the depressingness of the pre- depressingness of whatever of life and how really hard it is for people to just sort of exist sometimes and seeing that through Nani and Lilo's eyes is fantastic. I love the universe it sets up. I'm a big I'm a big supporter of not only like the sequel films that aren't eligible for this because TV movies don't count, uh, <laughs> but uh, the TV show is so great, and seeing how all the experiments would have just come to life, and seeing it all start with Stitch, who, who on paper is just like this weird fucking dog, superhuman thing, and then it's just one of the most adorable creatures on the face of the planet, who is then trying to understand humanity through the ugly duckling. It's so, so good. This movie is just... I, 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 fuck you, Kaiser. You're not welcome here. Get out. <laughs> this movie is just fantastic, and I have so much fun with it. And it's one of the. It's to me. It's to me. It's one of the, like, one of those green flag films, where if someone doesn't like it, I cannot trust them because there's so much just loved here. Is that Kaiser? Yeah, it's Kaiser. Hello, Kaiser. You're welcome here. <laughs> um, you're you're welcome in this space. Um. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch. I'm glad you have this because, little known fact, uh, in the Spring Top 100, Cody Newberry uh, made a, several edits to his list up until game time. And at one point, he had Lilo and Stitch on his list at like 90-something. And I watched it, and then I got another revision list, and Lilo and Stitch wasn't there. So at least I watch it for something now because I'd seen it before, but I hadn't seen it for like ever. Um, movie. Movie is fine. It's it's there. Um, it's it's. I'm not gonna say anything bad about it. It's it's a fun little movie. But you l- put this in lineup with ten other Disney Disney animated movies. I'm not gonna recognize it. Um, I do not understand the the love that this that this movie gets. Uh, I'm too old to have nostalgia for it. But still, I just again. Not say anything terrible about it. It's, it's a fun Disney romp, but it's I, I just you go to Disney parks and they try to sell Stitch as like a core Disney character. It's like Minnie, Mickey, Goofy, Donald, Pluto, 
and Stitch. What is Stitch doing there? Get him out of there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just yeah, I just don't. I again, this movie just suffers from the hype because I don't think it's a bad movie, but I cannot get behind the hype train on this at all. Uh, there's only one mistake that Disney's made with the marketing, and it's replacing the alien ride at Walt Disney World with the Stitch breakout thing, which hey. is awful. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> you um, said it. I was gonna say that. <laughs> uh, everybody else on Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, that ride scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. The alien invasion ride. I still have like nightmares about it sometimes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is the best like uh, post Renaissance uh, of the Disney movies. I love this movie. I think it's so charming. I love all the characters. It's so charming. Uh, I put Ponyo on my list, and I was like, should I put Lilo and Stitch next to Ponyo because these two are like kind of sibling movies to me? Uh, yeah. I fucking love this movie. Why did they replace the um, the washing machine? Um, my wife and I guessed that it was because someone got harmed. A kid got harmed in a washing machine or something. Kids just crawl into them. They're like, we can't advise any harm to children. So oh, we'll replace okay. them with whatever the fuck she does instead. I surprisingly avoided the hell out of this movie for some reason and never got back around to watching it. I don't know why, but I never wanted to see it. I saw it once as a kid. Um, I haven't revisited it since. People seem to love it, though. I'm sure it's great. And to be fair, I had your list in front of me. I did not get the hint. So that was a rough one this week. Uh, I, I try to be vague to keep everyone on their toes. I did a good job this time. Uh, what is our number 34, Allie? Hope you like crying. Short term 12. If y'all have seen this and you haven't cried, go to therapy. You'll cry there. This is a great movie. Uh, <laughs> this is just one of the this – this to me is – shout out to Jack Pinchuk, uh, who might be watching here, might be watching on the, re, on the replay, whatever. How he loves to just rewatch Requiem for a Dream and just feel like dog shit but still want to revisit it. That's how I am with this movie, where it just reaches in my soul, rips everything out, puts me on the fucking floor. And it's still, I want to go back to revisit it because I just love the character so much. Seeing just this, I won't say like a shitty situation, but just, just a bunch of kids who just got like the short end of the stick and have and having to go through uh, either the foster program or what's seen in this film. And, and it's not always the most supportive environment and them carrying that trauma with them. And then when they're finally in a place where they feel like where people there genuinely support them and help them. They're all they're running away or avoiding it or knowing that they're going to walk out to do an even worse life afterwards. And all, all, all of that just fear just like plague this film. And like, yeah, you, yeah, you have um, Brie Larson and John Gallagher Jr. sort of like leading this film. The real stars are like the kids of the film, namely uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Caitlin Deaver, who are giving some of the best like kid performances ever, two of the best monologues ever put to film. This is and it's in and again like as you get to the end of the film and it's not a perfect wrap everything up ending it's still like a lot of people just going through shit, but it's still so incredibly cathartic to see them work through everything that that's going on in their life, and then you want to put it right back on and just be like I want to be with these characters some more and I wish I could see them sort of like live on and thrive in their life it's beautiful and I this is just a perfect movie. Yeah, I nobody else had this right. All right, 
Um, I had wanted to see this for a while. I heard everybody talk about it and just all the names in it, you know, early on in their careers. Um, really wanted to check it out. Never did. And I finally got to round to it the past couple weeks for the show. And I really liked it. This is really just my kind of movie. Um, I just love it. It's, I mean, I don't know if you call this a slice of life movie, but it's so real. I mean. <laughs> where it's, it's, these movies can go there. Like, I don't think it's like a real feel bad movie like you're selling it. I mean, there are things to feel bad about, but it's, it's not just like really depressing. Like, it's, it's, it's not, it's, I mean, it, it, there's depressing moments, but it's not like a Rec Room for a Dream type movie where it's just dis- destroying your soul while you're watching it. I think there's enough uplifting stuff in it but at the same time like the characters are real nothing's played strictly for jokes um even the humor is very real and organic the characters are all real um the cast is great um lakeith sanfield especially is just amazing in this um when he the, the part where he sings that song is just that's heartbreaking that is devastating that is so real and you get so much out of who that character is and what that character has been through, through that song. And I read up, they said um, the director wrote the, wrote, wrote like the, the framework for the song and they let Lakeith basically, uh, cha- you know, make it his own. So there's a lot of like personal stuff about his life in that, in that music too, um, which makes it so much stronger. Uh, but yeah, he's so good, but everybody's so good. It's like, I said, it's just a, like, I felt like I'm really watching these characters for the good and the bad. Like there's, you laugh at stuff, you get upset about stuff. Um, but it's but it's just great and then like just ends it's like okay it's going to go on and this is but you see, you learn through it like the good they're doing and there's there is some hope in that and how you know they can affect these kids lives and i just i like how they break it between the 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 staff and the kids and you get to see both their perspectives um yeah this is a really good movie uh, everybody else on short term 12 go watch atlanta uh, Spence is really working on like my 110 through 120 on my list tonight because this was really close. Uh, amazing movie. Um, even though it gave the world Rami Malik, I guess it balances out because it did <laughs> give the world the Keith Stanfield and uh, and Caitlin Deaver. But um, were you dissing that? Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely dissing Rami Malik. <laughs> very very raw movie um, in ways that you don't expect. Really. Uh, Again, we're talking Oscar snubs also tonight, I guess. Uh, but Brie Larson, um, what happened there? Why did she not get an Oscar nomination? But, um, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't have too much else to say. I guess again, just super raw, honest movie. Another one of those sort of like, here's a perspective on people. We're gonna open up a window on like this, this group of people that don't often get represented in film. And I always love when, um, when movies do that. So. Um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, I uh, I really like this movie too. Uh, I think the thing um, maybe uh, holding it it back a little bit for me, as much as I do love this movie, uh, is that it, it's it's a little um, too nice and warm sometimes. In like a, it's a little too like um, perfect and um, I, in a way that uh, the. I can imagine a messier version of this movie, um, maybe uh, being even better. All right, uh, that takes us over to Amaru and your number thirty-seven. We're taking a complete left turn down a whole different road. Uh, thirty-seven, Die Hard. 
All right. Um, I mean, this movie has been talked about forever because it's fucking amazing. Um, I, I really don't need to say much. It's Die Hard. It's one of the best action movies uh, there is, period. Even though I have I have a good amount of action movies uh, there later. I guess the one reason it's it's so low on my list is because I came to it late. Um, uh, it came out the year I was born. So love it. I, that's really all I got to say about it. It's been talked to death. I love this film. Yeah, you're right. There's not, there isn't much to say about it that has not been said, but talked to, but I mean, for a good reason, like this is just, I mean, it's Bruce Willis at his peak, you know, when, you know, we talk about him now, but I mean, he was just firing all cylinders here. Um, John McClane is just one of the all time great action heroes. Um, and, you know, this movie does what the right, what the sequels that started to do wrong, where they made him like this big time action hero. And I just love it that he just, he's just a regular cop who gets caught up in this situation, doesn't know how to handle it, just completely flying by the seat of his pants. Um, Hans Gruber, one of the all-time great action villains, um, you know, hamming it up just the perfect amount. Uh, just the 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 story and the, the how the how it plays out just going through the building and there the ski yeah it's it's fantastic um nothing to say bad about this movie um this is i don't know if it's made it on my last top 100 it's floated on and off like it's always like in the like 90s 100s or maybe like 110s um but it's definitely um it's definitely uh worthy of being a top 100 very solid movie i won't start the argument but i have my place in that argument well, Jake, speak, 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 speak. You be Jake smart about this, guys. Jake I, I, is going I, for the win tonight because he said Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. He he's really going hard for the win tonight. Yeah, he is. Feels, I was I was trolling. <laughs> I think it's the dumbest <laughs> argument. <laughs> well, you trolled on the right side. <laughs> I, uh, I, don't know. I don't care about that. <laughs> Die Hard is a very good movie, uh, a great action movie. Inspired movies that I've had on my list. I mean, like I had Speed a, a couple episodes ago. Is basically you know Die Hard on a bus. Uh, it it just it revolutionized action movies. I don't know if you twisted my arm, I might like the third one a little bit more, just because I like that like treasure hunt aspect of like we're driving all over the city to like get to the next clue, and also Sam Jackson. I mean, come on. Um, but I mean, it's it's an action classic. It's it's uh it's almost perfect for what it is. So um, I love the movie. Uh, I I really like Die Hard too. But can I uh, make fun of the fact that like a lot one of the emotional arcs of the movie is like this cop like shot a teenager and the whole like his emotional arc is like he pulls out his gun and shoots another person and this time he gets it right and you're supposed to be like. Yeah, like, <laughs> don't like talk about Mr. Like that. <laughs> and also the third movie, which I also love, I think it's probably um, I like it a little better than the first movie. It's another John McTiernan one. One of the arcs in that is that Samuel L. Jackson is actually racist against this white cop. <laughs> that is like <laughs> he needs to come to terms with it's not all cops. That's like the arc of that movie. It's just funny that he's got these two. Um, fairly conservative messages slipped into these movies. Odd. This is a near-perfect movie. Uh, Jake's one flaw, or Jake's big flaw is my one flaw. Other than that, no changes. Fucking one of the most rewatchable movies ever. Great. Fucking great. Alright. Uh, that was Easy Rude, number 36. Uh, 36 is, to me, I think, uh, one of Will Smith's best movies. Um, action movies, uh, because he has a lot better ones. Uh, Enemy of the State, 
Um, it is. This is a badass action thriller film with a stacked cast of uh, character actors. So not only do you have Will Smith and Gene Hackman and John Voight and Regina King, then you got Jack Black and Jamie Kennedy and Barry Pepper and Jake Busey, and they're all just perfect in their roles, big and small. Tom Sizemore. Um, this is just an absolutely thrilling action film. Lisa Bonet, Gabriel Byrne comes in there for a little bit. Gene Hackman and, and Will Smith. Will Smith does well with old grumpy white men. He just does well, whether it's a comedy or it's not a comedy. They just work well together. Um, and uh, freaking Jason Lee, you forget how many people are in this film. Uh, and from from beginning to end, uh, it has one of my favorite uh, comedic lines. Uh, no, I just like going cross-dressing uh, on the weekends. Um, uh, it's, it's the perfect amount of Will Smith comedy to not make it like uh, enough. You had to throw in a one-liner in there. No, it fit in that interrogation scene. Um, and it's Will Smith actually showing dramatic chops in not such a dramatic movie, but he's starting to show it, and you see that he's an actual actor. Um, of course, you've also seen that in, in Six Degrees uh, Separation, but still, he can do the blockbuster films that also have the drama and combines uh, bits of comedy in there. I love this film. Um, it is top-tier, top-tier TNT film. Top-tier. Yeah, this movie's pretty good. Um, again, top 100, you know, we'll take that out of the equation because uh, that's a little high, but uh, especially top 35, yikes. Uh, but it's a fun movie. It's a good action movie, good action thriller. Um, I'm hit or miss hit or miss on Will Smith, uh, but I think he saw I think it's a good role for him. Uh, Hackman is great. Hackman does that, like, crazy old conspiracy theorist guy so well. Um, and, yeah, like, the whole cast is really good, just like the whole – um, you know, Void is the bad guy, and them trying to check them down. It just has that great, like, cat and mouse game. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I only saw this for the first time, I think, the past year or two. Uh, but I still think it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, everybody else on Enemy of the State. Is this technically supposed to be a sequel to The Conversation? Is this the it is one? A, it's a spiritual sequel to The Conversation, yes. Okay, yeah, I, I barely remember this movie, but I remember hearing that and thinking, ah, I should check that out again since I've watched the the conversation in the meantime. Uh, first of all, in me, this is a Christmas movie. Um, I just want <laughs> to go on record saying that because it is, it is. Um, but uh, it's a fun, it's a really fun movie. Yeah, this is uh, uh, you know high on my favorite Tony Scott movies. Um, yeah, the the plot and everything is really interesting and how it explores government surveillance and all that back then. I think my favorite scene is the scene, though, where Will Smith goes to Victoria's Secret to shop for his for Regina King, his wife. And he just like has no idea what he's doing. And it's hilarious. I thought we were arguing about Die Hard because I've never seen this, but I know a fun fact where like most of the big actors movie are uncredited for some fucking reason. And that's been yeah. literally all I know about this. Jack Black is in there. I don't know if he said him, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Amaru, what is your number 35? I really like action films. I really like fun action films. And this one is probably the most surprising one for me. Uh, surprises I've had in, the, in this century. It's uh, Live, Die, Repeat, also known as Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I had to, I had to rewatch it yesterday because I hadn't seen it in a while and I needed to like remind myself how how really great this film is. Um, even more so because a lot of people didn't see it. 
or at least it didn't make enough money in the box office. I didn't see it. And when I started seeing it, I was like, all right, this is going to be the, your natural action film. Bill Paxton's hamming it up. That's great. Uh, and then it actually gets into the time loop stuff. And it's it does something like it, it actually keeps the time loop fresh. And the reason why that happens is because they actually pay more attention to the relationship between Emily Blunt and Tom Cruise more than anything. And you start seeing how such seeing the same person that you start to care about die over and over and over again. They as as crisply paced as this movie is through the time loop scenes, they actually start to show the wear and tear of having to go through this again and again and again and again really really hurts like your soul and when you start like take uh really she he starts really falling for um the Angel of Verdun. Uh, Brennan Gleeson is great as it, with his cameo role in it. Um, I'll say it again. Bill Paxton just knows how to ham the, the fuck out of things. And I love him in this <laughs> Um The J-Squad is a bunch of just like random, random uh, actors that you don't know who they are, but they fit well. Um, even the over-the-top ones, because they, the, the movie starts off a bit over the top. The design of the mimics are great. Um, and just kind of where the entire plot unfolds. Um, it's, it's a hell of a fun time and it's su surprisingly really heartfelt, uh, when it comes to that relationship. Um, and I, I enjoyed the shit out of this movie. Who else had this? No, I just me. Is Jake frozen? Nope. Did, you had this, you had this this week, didn't you, Jake? No, you think it minority? Oh, okay, my, my bad. I thought somebody had it. Okay, um, Edge of Tomorrow is, uh, yeah. I mean, it takes that Groundhog Day thing, and I think that that trope really lends itself well to action movies because you see, you know, like it's about like learning and you know advancing forward. Like my favorite part of the movie is just like that sequence where he first, you know, like the the first time he lands the battle, he dies instantly, and then he lasts so longer than lasts so longer just by paying attention and i think that is a really good use of that uh of, of of the of the groundhog day scenario and um just you know him training getting better and you know that scene where she's like like they i forget exactly what happens but like they they kind of like blow their day like they ruins but he's she's like okay whatever she just shoots them to like start over um, yeah, the, the, he starts training so every time he he sucks at training when he when he's about yeah to injured, she just shoots him in the head yeah, yeah. So um, I think that's a really good use of it. Uh, it's and it's fun. Um, I think Cruz and um, Emily Blunt are both really strong in it. And yeah, I mean, again, it's not a movie I'd put in top one hundred, but top one hundred action movies, maybe. Um, I think it takes a, a a used idea and brings some fresh perspective. To it. Oh, I know somebody better have Groundhog Day on the list. We had Groundhog. We we had this. And we had Happy Death Day. Somebody better have Groundhog Day on the list before this is all said and done. Uh, everybody else on Edge of Tomorrow. Fun fact: I've never seen this all the way through. I'm watching like half hour chunks on TNT or whatever, and I never get to the end. So, oof. Uh, this movie's excellent, uh, and this is this movie is why I will never write off a movie after the trailers because the trailer for this movie was terrible. It was one of the most boring trailers. I was like, this just looks like a god awful movie with just a bunch of robots punching each other in like gray environments. It looked like Terminator Salvation again, basically, <laughs> in the trailers, uh, which is one of the worst movies ever. But number twelve. Um, 
I it turned out to be super fun. Again, the time loop thing, they keep it fresh. Like Happy Death Day, which we talked about, they find like the humor in it. Like when he like rolls over and the tank runs over him and everything. Like they, they find funny moments in the movie, like which is good, is smart because like the concept of this is like there's a, a lot of inherently inherent humor that you can get out of it. So, um, and I, I, you know, I'm always a fan of Tom Cruise action movie. Um, so I like, I like it a lot. Yeah. I, uh, I love this movie too. Uh, I love, uh, like bumbling Tom Cruise and, uh, like, uh, badass, like boss bitch, Emily Blunt fucking like their romances or whatever you want to call it. Their relationship, I guess is, uh, excellent. Uh, and I think all of the best Tom Cruise movies are kind of uh, deconstructions of his persona. And this one is really interesting because it starts off uh, with uh, Tom Cruise as this incapable, um, regular uh, grunt soldier. And he actually has to build himself up to become Tom Cruise in this movie, which uh, I think is, is really fun really interesting about it. They, they, they actually originally uh, take him down from being the uh, media relations guy who's Going the, the the haughty media relations guy that's going and avoiding war and then put him down into the grunt and then build him back up. Yeah, yeah, he definitely starts out as like the stereotypical Tom Cruise character, and then you know, like you said, Jake flips it. Um, Kathy, I don't think you've seen this. I don't, I don't think you've seen this one. I watched. <laughs> it. I don't think you were there. Um, all right, so that takes us. That was your thirty-five, Rue. What's your thirty-four? Scott and Jake, you said you think you like it better. I do. My 34 is Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> there we go. So the main reason Die Hard with a Vengeance is above Die Hard for me is because uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance is the first Die Hard movie I ever saw. I saw it, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the character of John McClane, Samuel L. Jackson, and, and Scott hit it on the head. I love riddles. Riddles and a treasure hunt. And, and at that age... Um, me at that age, just seeing an action movie with Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis going to solve riddles, I was glued in front of the TV. Um, absolutely love that. Um, and then also, uh, Jeremy Irons is either as good or arguably to some better than uh, Alan Rickman, which is harder to do. I still prefer Alan Rickman. Jeremy Irons being his little brother is badass as well. Um, again, uh, what I was... Seven, yes, perfect movie for seven-year-old me, um, especially being in love with Samuel L. Jackson. Um, and then um, I now know for the rest of my life, and I'm hoping I get the number right, the 20th president of the United States was Chester A. Arthur. I will never forget that fun fact ever because of this film. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. The back and forth between Willis and, and Samuel L. Jackson just continues to be great from Pulp Fiction. It's... I love this film to death, and and it's it's my favorite of the series because it's the one that introduced me um, to to um, Bruce Willis uh, in 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 this, and I absolutely love it. He's still a everyday cop, and he hasn't gone into the full blown action hero yet. Um, so John McClane as just the the regular guy going through another fucked up day, like damn, uh, love this film. Yeah, I think this movie did the smartest thing possible, which is get away from the Die Hard formula. Uh, if they just kept up with that, I think that would have buried the franchise even earlier than it ended up getting buried. Um, I think it was so great to just try and do something fresh. And if I remember correctly, I don't even think this was originally a Die Hard script. 
I think they just took an existing script and rewrote it to make it die hard, put John McClane and everything in it. And I think that was the right move. You brought um, you brought McTiernan back. Uh, you kind of revert uh, McClane back to that kind of sad sack character that he was in the first movie. So character wise, you're getting back to what works, but you're also doing something very fresh with it. And yeah, just using New York as like kind of like the playground for everything to happen uh, is a lot of fun. Them just get from point A to point B and figuring all that out is, is really cool. Like creates a lot of great tension, a lot of great action. Uh, Sam Jackson's great in it and him and uh, Bruce Willis are, um, I think this, did this come out before Pulp Fiction? Is this our first movie together? No. I mean, no same year. 94. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 94. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Um, but yeah, so they were, um, yeah, just the, the two of them uh, playing off each other is so good. Just them, you know, learning to have to work together and all the shouting they do and everything is just uh, uh, just two really uh, – uh, Jackson's character is such another great thing to inject into this franchise, um, which I think it was missing, like just that making it that like buddy cop kind of, kind of story, um, which you had elements of in the first two, but this really solidifies that. Um, and, yeah, it's I, I don't like it as much as the first. I still, you know, this, the 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 first one's still very high up, you know, for me. Um, but this is right there, definitely. I mean, compared to the rest of the franchise, forget about it. Um, the other sequels only hold a candle. This one, uh, we talked about a little bit already, but everybody else on Die Hard with Vengeance, never seen it. Yeah, I already said what kind of why I liked it. However, fun story. Um, I so I was kind of like. My parents sheltered me when it came to movies some. Um, when I was younger, I didn't get CR-rated movies for a long time. When I was in eighth grade, we went on a trip to Chicago with my high school. And I, you know, stayed in a room with some other dudes. And one of them had brought Die Hard with a Vengeance. And we watched it. And it was the first R-rated movie I ever watched. And there's a lot of cursing in it. So it really opened up a new world uh, to me watching this movie. So it will always hold a special place in my heart for that reason. And it's also a really fun movie. Scott, let me introduce you to Samuel L. Motherfucking Jack. <laughs> I know. It was quite an introduction. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, first saw this movie on TV a bunch of times. So I never got why everyone was so mad at him when he's walking through Harlem. Uh, there's a TV edited version. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh man. I was just like, oh, I guess people are just angry there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was your 34. So we're going to go back to Jake with uh, number 37. Uh, number 37, someone had the first movie of this. And you said, oh. Well, it's not the best of these movies. And I was thinking, ah, I hope you're thinking of Toy Story 2, even though you're probably Yikes thinking of Toy Story. Yikes to a future episode. Okay, cool. Correct. Great. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, next on my list is at number 36 is Pulse, the Kiyoshi Kurosawa uh, movie. And it's actually from the year 2000, not 2006. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> this is a, um, it got remade, I guess, in 2006, uh, when they were remaking J-horror movies, uh, but it's actually probably not, <laughs> <laughs> probably not his, um, most accessible, which I would say was Cure, came out, uh, three years earlier, uh, his other masterpiece, uh, and... This is a movie uh, where ghosts are are taking people's souls through the internet, basically. 
It's a Japanese movie. And the thing that I think is so, this movie achieves so well is that uh, it's about uh, cyberspace, uh, the internet invading our physical space. And you really see that uh, in every uh, horror sequence. Um, you see these um, glowing, flickering screens and or, or these computer screens that we all have that we're all looking into. And uh, these uh, urban apartments are disturbingly empty and eerie and unkept. And it's almost like uh, the victims are being absorbed into this world so much that their apartments uh, fall in disrepair. And yeah, it's just a whole vibe of a movie. And it's actually, it's a really confusing ending that it uh, almost turns into, turns less like the, the, the ring or the grudge and more almost invasion of the body snatchers, which uh, I think is really interesting. And yeah, on a basic level, this movie is saying that, uh, hey, this thing that was supposed to connect us is leaving us less connected. But uh, the movie, I think, has a lot of uh, deeper thoughts and more interesting ideas on why that might be, especially for the year 2000. All right. Um, I did not get a chance to watch this movie, uh, but I definitely want to see it. You kind of sold me on it and the ideas. And just looking at some stuff, but I really dig what the aesthetic looks like. Um, so I think this movie is probably going to be right up my alley. Uh, just didn't get a chance to watch it yet. Uh, has anybody else seen Pulse? I've not seen Pulse. However, I did watch Cure last week for the first time, uh, and I loved it. So I really want to watch this movie now because he seems like it would, he, might, he might be my type of filmmaker, Kurosawa. Hell so. yeah. Haven't seen it, but it sounds interesting as hell. Yeah, it really does. All righty. I don't think Spence has seen it. Spence is gone, but I don't think I. I I'll bet Spence has not seen it. If he, if they have, we'll let them talk about it later. No, I definitely haven't seen this. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, Jake, what is your number thirty-five? At number thirty-five, I have one that Kirk doesn't like for some reason. That already got yikes. It's Dunkirk. <laughs> okay. Uh, I remember someone called this uh, the editing in this book because I I was saying that the log shot and um. 1917 was a bit gimmicky and someone was saying that oh dunkirk the editing is gimmicky in that and i think it's just the opposite i think that often a lot of the cross-cutting and editing that nolan does is more gimmicky especially when it's um so woven into the premise like in something like inception where the whole point is that he's cross-cutting between these different times in dunkirk i think it's serving a utility which is to uh make the most visceral experience and the most create the most momentum that he possibly can for the audience and and uh, i think a lot of people were actually disappointed when these timelines crossed over and there wasn't some uh explosive moment in the movie because i uh really think that well okay let me uh there's a quentin tarantino quote about this where he's talking about how uh, he's talking about how Nolan's um, contribution to cinema was cross-cutting and editing if you were to distill it down to one element. And that this is him basically turning the uh, Storming the Beach in Normandy scene in Saving Private Ryan into like a entire movie that you just sit there and there's none of the boring parts. And that's uh, basically what I love so much about this movie. Uh, I also had this... Um... Yeah, this is like one of the most immersive 
war movies ever. Um, it's yeah. David Sims described it as like this is like a novel with all the verbs taken out. I think is how he said it, which is uh, a really cool way to describe it. Um, or with nothing but the verbs, maybe is what he's what he meant to say yes. or what he said. But um, that's great. But yeah, it's a great way of describing it. Um, the movie, like, and I don't understand the other criticism too. And I said the same thing about 1917, like where I don't understand the criticism that you don't care about the people. Like, I definitely think there are, um, especially like what's going on in the boat with like Mark Rylance and um, Killian Murphy and all that. Um, I think some of that is, you know, emotionally captivating. And this movie just has like some of the most spine tingling moments, like when, all the ships come sailing in like Kenneth Branagh has that moment. Like the score is like, you know, getting really intense and you think that, you know, a battle's about to break out. And then he just has that moment. It's like, what do you see? And he looks out and he goes home and then the music just swells and you see all of the boats come in and that's just like an awesome moment. And then the ending, I don't know how you don't, you aren't moved by the ending on the train with the guy with the, it's one of those like movie clips on YouTube where I just like go back and watch it all the time. Just the last five minutes of Dunkirk, like with the guy, with the soldier on the train reading Churchill's speech out of the paper. And it's like, you know, again, cross cutting, like between all the different people. Um, and it just ends there with Tom Hardy on the beach and that amazing shot of the plane burning and like the, the soldiers coming up over the hill to take him. Um, it's, it's just, a, it's an amazing technical exercise. I do think it is, it is emotionally captivating and a really cool story about like how failure can even be a victory, how there can be victory in failure, because like, you know, the whole thing is like the British are retreating and they have to get all these people out of there. And the way that the country comes together to, um, help them escape the battle that they are losing, um, is an interesting way to frame a war movie um and you know inspirational in its own way so um this movie's amazing yeah i've i've said it before i said this movie is christopher nolan masturbating behind an imax camera for two hours <laughs> however long it is um you know you say people don't care about the characters i think it's because nolan doesn't care about the characters and he doesn't care about the story he doesn't care about it it's look at this beautiful thing that I've created. My biggest problem with Nolan is, I think, especially later in his career, he is just one of the most self-indulgent and self-centered uh, filmmakers out there. Like, the movies aren't for us. Like, they're for him. And, like, for us to look at and admire him. And I think that's what this movie is. You know, comparing that we are comparing this to 1917, I think 1917, the way that movie is shot and cut, it tethers you to those characters, and it makes it a real experience. This one, everything just feels so detached. And... I, you're talking about that final scene, um, Scott. I won't lie; like I don't remember much because by the third act, I was looking at my phone through a lot of it because I was so bored with this movie. I just got so bored of Scott scenes of shots of sky and water, and maybe I need to see it on IMAX because it's an IMAX movie. But um, watching on my TV was not a very fun experience. Um, Spence and Rue, your take on Dunkirk? I want to make Scott and Jay real mad real quick. Uh, this is maybe Nolan's most forgettable film, which is rough. Uh, but beyond that, you know what? You know what I remember more than this: the one, the one take of the Dunkirk battle in Darkest Hour. That's how much Nolan failed in this movie. That a single scene from a honestly vastly inferior film is more memorable and entertaining and well put together than this. I could not. <laughs>
I could not give a fuck about No, that does not deserve that video. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do you one. I'll, I'll do you one better. The Dunkirk scene in Atonement is better okay. than anything Now you're speaking my movie. language, but... Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> just the cap. But yeah, this is, this is like bottom three, Nolan, for me. I really don't give a fuck about it. Christopher Nolan is one of my favorite directors out there. Um, and I like this movie. It's not one of my favorite Nolan films, but I like this movie. I, very similar to 1917. Don't understand. I don't get why people don't connect with the characters. Um, and I really like the fact that I connect with them without knowing their name. It like shows me war is a bitch. There's these so many nameless people you have no idea about that have gone through this really visceral just harrowing event and you still care about them and you just care about these people here and there that you don't remember what their names are, but you remember what they went through. Um, and that's what kind of Doug Kirk did for me. Um, especially the, you, you, uh, you said, uh, Scott, the, the Mark Rylance part in the boat. I think this film is, is pretty great. Um, it, it is for me on the lower half of Nolan's films, but I really, really like to love Nolan's films. So, um, I, I'm I'm with I'm with these two on this. Uh, Dunkirk is is a great movie. All right. Uh, so Jake, give us your thirty-four. My thirty-four is the New World. Uh, yeah, the New World is uh, my favorite uh, Malik movie. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of, I want to avoid, um, when you think of Terrence Malick and you want to compliment Terrence Malick movies, I feel like <laughs> the word like, oh, it's like poetry comes up like constantly and you want to avoid it almost. But like, I think there's a reason. I think everyone independently who loves Terrence Malick movies, it is the the, the proper description of uh, his visual style. Uh, I kind of, uh, I compared him to... Um, I'd compare him to like, a, it's like someone explained to him what a movie was. It's like, oh, you use images and sound and you tell a story and you evoke emotions. And it's almost like he never saw another movie. He just like, oh, okay, I get it. You put images together and I guess there can be a story. And uh, yeah. So the thing I love so much about this movie is that uh, it's such an incredible work of empathy. It's really the uh, Pocahontas story, if you've seen that, told uh, more probably through the eyes of Pocahontas uh, herself in this version. Uh, I watched it recently. I think it's all like aged really well with like a very like uh, appropriate casting. Uh, I saw someone on Letterboxd, I want to say, said that uh, when the aliens come, they're going to uh, save Terrence Malick. And uh, I think that says a lot about what this movie is. It, it views the, uh, the European settlers as these aliens that are invading this uh, world and how there's uh, beauty and also tons and tons of pain in that as well. Okay, I had never seen this movie. I watched it this week for the show. Um, and I'm going to give this the Andrew B James Barr treatment. I respect this movie more than I like it. Um, I, it, it looks great. Um, it's really well directed. I like how it has like that, the way the scenes are cut and interspersed kind of has like a dream, dreamlike quality or like, a, like you're watching a memory, like nothing's really, uh, there chrono uh, chronologically. It's not 
it's not solid. It's kind of all over the place. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, some of the drawn out shots, like it, I, a lot of my complaints about Dunkirk could maybe apply to this because the point is it does seem to get a little bit self-indulgent, um, but still you're connected to these characters uh, in, a, in a certain way. Um, I didn't love it. Uh, but I understand if you do. Like I understand the the, the appeal to it and why you would like it. Um, I didn't think it was bad by a stretch of imagination. I think there's a lot here to like. Um, but it That's just fair. it just I didn't connect it to the same level as you or a lot of other people did. Um, but I totally get it. Uh, does anybody else see the new world? So I've not. Um, Malik is a filmmaker I haven't ever gotten into. But I think it's just because I haven't watched the right ones for my taste yet. And I think this would be one of the the right ones. So I am looking forward to watching it. I know that also know that Paul really likes it and we tend to have very similar tastes. So that might mean that I will like it a lot too. Scott's a big song to song fan. Uh, no, that is one of the ones I've seen. And it is not good. <laughs> I've, I've never seen a Malik film, so. I haven't seen it. All right. That means it's time for the uh, carousel portion of the show. Scott, we're going to start with your 33. All right, Coho, this one's for you, buddy. Uh, we've had some disagreement tonight, Kirk, but if you don't like this movie, then clearly you've never been to Singapore. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> this motherfucker don't miss. No. Nobody had it. Wow, okay. Uh, my favorite Disney movie. Um, I love this movie. Um, and we will probably never see Disney make a movie like this again because they have just become so calculated and like strangle their artists, it seems like, basically. And this movie is like, they just let Gore Verbinski do whatever he wanted, right? Like he just made a Gore Verbinski movie. And that's what makes it so great is it's just this weird CGI heavy movie about, you know like very plot heavy, like two and a half hours long, like no reason for it to have as much plot as it does based on a theme park ride. You have Johnny Depp stumbling around doing some weird Keith Richards imitation and like in doing so creating like just this iconic character. I mean, Jack Sparrow's entrance, probably the greatest entrance introduction of any character in a movie. Like when he comes in on the ship as it's sinking and just steps on the dock like that. I mean, it is perfection. Um, and the CGI, like in this movie and Dead Man's Chest, like is still some of the best CGI like ever. Like it holds up incredibly well, um, especially the Dead Man's Chest um, CGI. But um, such a fun movie, um, you know, very a lot of humor in it that I think really works. Um, this was, you know, again, this was kind of we were discovering Johnny Depp in this character and it was so weird and interesting and we'd never seen it before. He eventually wears out his welcome in the series with the same shtick, but um, certainly not here. All the supporting characters are really fun. Again, like I love the the CGI. Like some of the images, like Barbosa's crew, like rowing um, on the boat, is like such a cool image. Um, and just yeah, some of the, some of the other stuff in the movie, like you know the way that Barbosa's like face turns and stuff when he goes into the the moonlight, and Jeffrey Rush is such a great mustache twirling villain like he just totally buys in to what the movie is doing like he's so on the the level of of this movie and everyone is i think um and that's that's what makes it so much fun um like i said it's a 
it's a bygone era of Disney now. I watch this and I still have so, as much fun as I did the first time I watch it. I watched it nowadays, but I, there's also a sadness in knowing who knows when we will see a live action movie like this from Disney again, because they tried to do something like this, I guess, with Jungle Cruise, and it just was not, not this. Yeah, I love this movie, and um, it's not my favorite in the series, but if you say it is, like, I'm not going to argue with that at all, because it's great. Like, there's something special about just when it's like a kind of like a more basic story before like the mythos explodes. Um, and you just a lot more like confined, you know, confined and focused. Um, so yeah, I think it's really solid. And yeah, it's lightning in a bottle. This movie should not have worked. Um, rock, movie based on a theme park ride should not be good at all. And uh, it, and it worked, and it's crazy. Um, yeah, Johnny Depp is great, and it's just that perfect like mix Disney mix of family favorite, family friendly pirate action and magic, which is just such like just like core Disney. Um, but done well, like like real, like like heartfelt Disney, not like cash grab Disney. Uh, Disney in a positive way when you say Disney. Um, but yeah, like the the special effects when they the when you the, the reveal of the crew when you, the moonlight first shines on them, you see what they are and the monkey and everything. So good, Barbosa is so good. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush knows exactly what movie he's in, yeah. and um, he and he and he plays that character so well. Um, and just like all the stuff, the sword fights and the, and the and the ship chases and everything, it's just such a great like. It's not only a bygone era from now to then, but I it's a bygone era from then to like you know adventure movies of like the 40s and 50s has like a mm -hmm. lot of feel of that to that a lot of you know influence like that and so i mean there's a lot of reasons we're not going to see movies like this again um but yeah it's fantastic uh everybody else on uh pirates kirk what's your uh, favorite pirates out of curiosity Two. uh dead man's chest yeah i was like not the best pirate film but still really great uh i don't know complicated thoughts about this just like good movie good pick wouldn't mean my list but respect it Two is the only other acceptable answer for your favorite. Yes. <laughs> World's End is great. Okay, you need to. Uh, World's End is good. It, it's the, it's okay, three. but it's it's it, but it's the first time you actually feel the two and a half hours, and you feel it a lot. Uh, I revisited these films uh, for the first time in a while this past year, and I, when uh, the first Pirates came on, I was like, "This movie is two and a half hours." I thought it was like an hour forty-five. Cause that it is, it is so good. Uh, Keith Richards impression to becoming Keith Richards son, which is a yeah. very amazing callback by the way. Um, and uh, you talked about the special effects. I think the, uh, the scene where Barbosa tells the crew to take a walk and they go uh, in the ocean under the boat is the most iconic shot of the entire series. Uh, that, that shot and that scene is just so damn great. Um, uh, the movie uh, everybody in this film is is amazing. Even um, my brother one day told me like, if Orlando Bloom is not playing Legolas, he can't act. And I kind of looked back and I was like, ooh, shit, he's kind of right. And even in this, he's not bad. He's not bad. He's, he fits he, the character. Yeah. He, he fits. So uh, I love this film. This is a, a great pick here. Oh uh, yeah, this is one of uh, Verbinski's wet wet movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah so uh yeah i also uh, i just want to say that uh watching early verbinski he's always been uh obsessed with um rube goldberg machines like those uh little machines that one thing gets knocked over and the marble goes off or whatever uh even in like mouse trap where these two guys are just trying to catch a mouse and the whole thing is about rube goldberg machines I thought you're talking about the game and for it, a second that was a tight ass game mouse trap 
But anyway, sorry. <laughs> or it's Mouse Hunt is the name of his first movie. Sorry, yes, yeah. but Mouse Mouse uh, Trap also has the um, the Rube Goldberg yeah. machine in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just think it's really interesting because Johnny Depp is someone who's uh, obsessed with Buster Keaton and um, Charlie Chaplin. You see him do impressions of uh, the those uh actors all the time and uh marriaging the love of uh contraptions and the love of those old silent film stars is something that i don't hear people talk about a lot those two thing elements coming together uh on top of also the keith richards impression it's just a perfect diamond of a performance yeah. all right Adelaide spence you're number 33 my 33 is maybe the best imperfect movie ever. Uh, it is Singing in the Rain. One of the best musicals of all time. One of the best movies of all time. No real complaints rather than one shitty scene, but everyone acknowledges it. And beyond that, it's fucking perfect. It is endlessly rewatchable. Some pitch perfect performances. One of my favorite movie villains of all time, because let's face it, she's barely a villain, but she's also just like, sort of shitty so you're like "Ooh, i hope you lose and she fucking does and it's super satisfying all the songs are great all but one of the dance numbers are great uh and everyone talks about how great donald o'connor is that is not a question i, I feel like we also we forget a lot about just like gene kelly is the star of this film and he is he is fucking incredible in this where it's just like i I find myself slacking on some classic musicals and I want to go back to it. And he's just someone who I'm always just like, I'm excited to watch him act. Cause he's one of the most entertaining presence, presence, presences ever put to film. He is just an, an incredible human being. Another green flag film. If you don't like this, something is wrong. Cause it's one of the most joyous, fun films to watch ever. Well. <laughs> <laughs> is it though? Yes, it is Kirk. Um, yeah, I go back to this movie and, um, uh, everybody talks about how great it is. I'm like, maybe it'll be better this time. And it never is. I just looked it up. This movie's under two hours and I'm shocked by that. Cause I feel like this is like one of those two and a half hour musicals cause it drags on. And it's just one of those movies that's <laughs> like, you know, what I like about this movie. I love like the story. The idea of transitioning to sound, and I love those scenes, like where they're trying to figure out what to do with the microphone. Like that stuff's great. Um, yeah. But the music, other than the title track, none of it really hits for me. Um, I think it's long. I think it's drawn out. I don't, I, and I feel like that's what the movie is like. Just a thinly veiled reason to like pile together all of these uh, these musical numbers that aren't that great. Um, I've seen a lot better. Um, Donna O'Connor, I mean, he's a clown, and I don't think clowns are that entertaining. He's a clown in this movie, I should say, not in real life. I don't know much about the guy in real life, but like in this movie, he's basically a clown doing pratfalls. Like, ah, clown fell down. That's funny, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, I, I want to like this movie just because it's supposed to be great. Everybody tells me how great it is. Every time I watch it, I'm like, I don't know what movie you guys are watching because this is kind of boring. And kind of not fun. Uh, nobody else had a list. Man, but Marx Brothers so funny. Am I right? Absolutely. Love when they hit a door <laughs> or they have a mustache. Um. Anyway, I think you described it pretty well, Spence. Actually, of like, even though the Broadway melody sequence, like the movie does, like grind to a halt. 
in a way when that when that happens you don't even care because the rest of the movie is like such a joy to watch and yeah i think that is the whole point of the make him laugh number is that he's doing like the stock jokes of like the Pratt falls and the the stuff like i mean like i think that's that's the whole point um of of that particular number um i don't know that it's meant to be like laugh out loud funny it's just like a satire almost in a way of all that but um yeah uh, uh, brilliant movie something about uh musicals and uh specifically this one especially this one uh is that it gives me a weird like hope in humanity that like people want to come together to make this dumb thing where we're all singing and dancing and all choreographed and it's beautiful and it's yeah it's a great movie i don't know the movie makes me happy i've heard the song a bunch never seen it robots <laughs> upgrades people upgrades Amru, what is your number 33 my number 33 is what I consider to be Edgar Wright's best film, Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is fucking hilarious. It is just a gem of a hilarious movie. It is so ridiculous and ridiculous to the best point possible. Also mixing in a good murder mystery film. Um, uh, so I think this is where uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Edgar Wright hit the perfect this is where they hit their strap. This is where they they just knew exactly what they wanted to do with this film, and the way they stylize it is is bloody brilliant. It is so funny, and it has one of the best action thirty minutes of action uh, in 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 almost any film, but especially in any action comedy. The entire Sanford goes out and just pulls out all the guns and all the everything to to go after them. Uh, uh, is it's funny and speaking of point break just you said point break and i was like ah i'll bring that up a little later uh nick frost is just is is just such the you, you love him because he's so innocent and so nice and his father's such a dick uh it's it, great acting hilarious hilarious uh movie and i i love hot fuzz it's my favorite of the cornetto trilogy This would uh, this would be my favorite great uh, movie if uh, if Shaun of the Dead didn't exist, and two reasons. Um, I think I love Simon Pegg, whatever he does, but I think he's so his best. He's at his best because he plays the perfect ne'er do well, and when he's playing a guy in this movie that uh, just kind of has it all together and knows everything he wants to do and has a plan and is organized. Um, like to me, that's not like peak Simon Pegg. Still good, but just not peak. Um, and also, I, re- I rewatched it this week, and I realized I think I like Shaun of the Dead better because Shaun of the Dead is a tribute to movies I love, and Hot Fuzz is a tribute to movies I actively hate. <laughs> so, so I think that affects it a lot too. But yeah, it's a, it's so fun. I, I don't think, and I also don't think the script is as tight as Shaun of the Dead, but it's still really tight. It's a really tight script. Um, and all those side characters, I just love that idea of this perfect little town that keeps its murder rate down by just making all the murders look like accidents and nobody's able to figure that out. Uh, cause they're all just kind of like bumpkins. Uh, and thing yeah, thing Timothy, is. Timothy Dalton's really good. This is, is like the, the, the head villain. Like he's just real swarmy and just like that idea. It almost has like a Stephen Kingish feel of like small town horror where like these, like, like 
simple, small minded people could be like so dangerous. Um, so yeah, this movie it's, it's 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 a great pick. It's not on my top one hundred, but still a really solid pick. Uh, everybody else on Hot Fuzz. Well, if you had asked me a week ago how I felt about Edgar Wright, I would have said I like to really enjoy all of his movies. Uh, then a thing happened, but um, <laughs> I am in that camp of like I I like again I like all of his movies except for the latest one. Um, I don't know that I love any of them. He's just not one of my guys, but I enjoy the movies. I understand what people get out of them. I enjoy Hot Fuzz. I think he is better at in doing like these smaller, more contained movies. I think like when you give him a big sandbox to play in, he kind of can just go all over the place as, you know, as best evidence in last night. Soho. but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said, so I think this is an ideal type of movie for him. Although ironically, I think my favorite of his movies is now the documentary he made this year, the Sparks brothers, which is a ton of fun, but, um, hot fuzz is, is good. It's solid. Rue, of all the right films you could have picked, <laughs> you went with this one. Yes, I did. <laughs> Betrayed me. Uh, this is a great movie. I really love it. It's, it's still my second favorite of the, of the Cornetto trilogy. I think it's really fun, really fantastic. Any film that references Point Break is obviously already have like a high, high like increase of just greatness. Uh, I also, I, I think my favorite part about the film is strangely enough, like the final action set piece. Because I know it's not like, that's not the point of the film, but I think I think they photograph it really well. And I think the choreography of it is like really engaging and clear and fun. But also might be my, my favorite Nick Frost in the whole trilogy, which I think it says a lot. Real quick public service announcement: Fuck Scott Pilgrim, the character. Okay. <laughs> character, yes. I, I think. Uh, how can you be surprised that Rue chose uh, Hot Fuzz when you've seen his list? Like, of course he loved Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Like, it's, it's made for so, him. For Jake, we saw Scott Pilgrim together, so I'm just going to shame him for not picking the bonding experience. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, okay. I, uh, Pilgrim. I, Pilgrim. Oh, thank you. Guys you guys remember... <laughs> You remember uh, earlier I brought up like that uh, like friend who uh, his mom said sexy when he tried on a shirt at her birthday. Why? I remember. Yes, you remember? Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, he was like a good friend of mine when I okay, we watched all the Schwarzeneggers and stuff, and he told taught me about Kurt Russell. I remember his mom and him were shocked. They didn't know who Kurt Russell was. I was just like a little kid. I was like, they're like, you don't know who Kurt Russell? Well, he was like my. Uh, we were probably both Nick Frost uh, types uh, as children in this movie who saw like every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, uh, loved Jackie Chan, all that shit. So this one's my favorite as well for that reason. All right, Jake, what is your number 33? 33, I picked Raging Bull. Uh, okay, no yikes. Uh, yeah, Raging Bull is probably, I think... Uh, Scorsese's um, angriest or, or meanest movie, uh, perhaps. Like, uh, it's uh, definitely in a lower key, a lower register, more in line with uh, Taxi Driver and some earlier Scorsese pre Goodfellas. And yeah, I think that the thing that draws me so much to this character is that uh, his pathology seems to be it's so self-destructive that it's just like his problem is that he can't 
accept any sort of um, affection or or meaningful relationship, and that's what's like wrong with him. And uh, you never really know exactly why, but it's fascinating to watch. Uh, yeah, that's I guess my thoughts on Raging Bull. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't um, my favorite out of like early Scorsese, um, but the more I've been rewatching, you know, a few times lately, and it's still pretty solid. Um, the character is just so like it's just like a really good like despicable character, like where you can just watch it, and be like, oh man, like you said, Scott or uh, Jake, like he just can't get it right, like he can't figure life out, like he has these opportunities for life to be better, and. He just can't take them. That's like makes it's just such a tragic character because of that. Um, it's it's such a well shot movie. Uh, some of the best boxing scenes ever, um, especially like that the montage of you know all his matches and then that last fight with uh, Sugar Ray where it's just him getting brutalized. Um, just really well, just just very artistic, but still it feels like boxing. Uh, and then like the 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 that 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 interlude with like the the color home videos um is just such a just a, like a really cool detour the movie makes um but yeah just a lot of really cool interesting choices by scorsese um and you could tell he's just really fascinated by this character i mean i don't know if he you know he, I, how much he sympathizes with him but he's very fascinated with it really just gets into the psyche of him uh so yeah it's again like i said there are other early you know 70s early 80s uh scorsese's i would pick um but this is still pretty good uh everybody else on raging bull I mean, this is just too dark and mean of a movie, like you said, Jake, for it to ever be one of my favorites. Um, but technically speaking, it's an almost flawless movie. And yeah, I was going to highlight that the editing by uh, by Thelma Schoonmaker, especially in those fight sequences, is like breathtaking. Like maybe the best uh, edited, you know, sequences, best edited film ever. Um, but it's just. It, it doesn't sit right with you um, as as well made as the film is. And you mentioned Taxi Driver, too, and that's a film that I feel similarly about. So I prefer, I guess, the other era of Scorsese. I mean, I already had Goodfellas on my list, obviously. This is actually my third favorite uh, Scorsese film. I love this movie to pieces. It's one of my favorite biopics ever as well. I just... I. I won't say it tends to get forgotten, but I feel like it's seen more as like a De Niro film than a Scorsese film. But I love the, I, I, I still love, I still love the the Scorsese flourishes and directing and even the storytelling, like the structure of it. I just, I, I feel like I try to hype it up all the time when people talk about Scorsese because they prefer like his gangster flicks. Like no, like this is smaller, but it's still perfection and it's dour and it's dark and it just sucks you in so so well. Haven't gotten around to this one yet. Should, but I have. All right, uh, Scott, thirty-two. All right, did anyone figure out my hint? Uh, yeah, it's the it's is it the Lego movie? Yeah. <laughs> it's the Crackle. It's the Lego movie. Uh, my favorite animated movie. Um, I think this movie is just absolutely genius. Um, first of all, it predicted Donald Trump becoming president because he's in the movie and his name is President Business. Uh, and, uh, you know, just again, one of the many ingenious things I think about this movie. And um, it it uh, it's a very funny movie. I mean, it has that Lord and Miller style of humor like that. You know, they obviously also patented in the Jump Street movies around the same time, which are very, very funny. But this shows that they can make a family friendly movie 
um that is just just as funny like i know some people think that the humor is just like too fast and too breathless but i love that kind of humor where it's just like so many jokes a minute like you're not even going to catch everything until you go back and watch it again like i like that because it makes a comedy rewatchable you know whereas a lot of comedies it's like once you've heard the jokes the first time it's like okay great i mean it's funny but it's not going to be the same on a rewatch but you can get new stuff out of the lego movie on a rewatch the humor and also just the visuals in general, because the the worlds that this movie create are so, again, meticulous, um, creative, um, just kind of breathtaking to look at, especially for somebody like me who did grow up playing with Legos um, and just, you know, seeing the the worlds and the way that they're designed. Again, there there's all these little details in it that you feel like you're missing and that you want to, you know, go back and rewatch time and time again. Thematically, it's like, you know that's that's the aspect i wasn't expecting of the movie to be so resonant um but the whole idea about how uh, we kind of like ostracize creatives um in a way and people who have more unique like uh perspectives on things like again they they have this whole like frame narrative that they reveal with the child the you know the child in the real world and will ferrell playing the dad um and uh, you know, the whole sort of point of the whole thing is like the kid wants to be creative and expressive and everything with the, you know, Lego designs that he's building. But the dad prefers like the rigid structure and like, you know, he wants everything perfect. He doesn't want, you know, them, the, ch the children to touch anything. And the movie is about finding values in those little like spontaneous moments of creativity that we all sort of explore when we're younger and that a lot of people explore through playing with lego so it's a really cool meta narrative in that way um and you know the, there's all like the weird like the weird characters and creatures again are just like a, a tribute to that creativity like the unikitty and the robot pirate and um all these you know again weird characters and the design of the double decker couch is another you know aspect that sort of um gets at that metaphor you have liam neeson giving i think an absolutely hilarious uh, dual vocal performance as good cop and bad cop he's the highlight of the the cast the voice cast for me but um everyone's really great it's like the one time when chris pratt's shtick works because it again it it fits the character and they're almost like poking fun at that sort of thing um in the way that they do it so the lego movie is is genius like i i could I rewatch this movie all the time. I don't feel that way about a ton of animated movies, as you can see, because I don't think I've had another one on my list. Um, that's not true. I had Kiki's um, a long time ago, but um, amazing movie. Yeah, this is another movie that shouldn't work. Um, I remember seeing the ads for this, the, the trailers for this. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a commercial for Lego. And at this <laughs> point, my, my son hadn't discovered Lego yet. And I was trying to keep that from happening for as long as possible because <laughs> Legos are crazy expensive. Uh, so mm. the longer he went without playing with them, the happier I was. Uh, and then I watched this movie, like, oh, this is like a real movie. And like, it has like real characters, it has something to say, and it's funny. Um, I think. For me, th this movie loses luster. It's one of those ones because of the sequels. Like, the I, I wasn't a fan of the sequel. This I wasn't a fan of Batman Lego. Um, so the 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 idea started to wear, wear thin for me. But I go back to this. I'm like, oh, this is still a really solid movie. Um, again, I agree with Kathy. Thirty two is a little bonkers. Uh, Thirty two all time. Um, but it's a it's a, it's a fun movie. Uh, everybody is else, Mario, have it higher. <laughs> he 
Uh, very likely. I don't remember, but he's very, very good. Here's your issue, Scott. <laughs> this isn't even the best Lego movie. Like, it's amazing. Absolutely. It is, though. No, it's not. Lego Batman? It's the only good Lego one. Ninjago stand down here. Cool. <laughs> All children, children can be cruel. Uh, this is awesome, though. Like, it's, this is a fantastic movie. I love it to pieces. It's. It's like I, I do think like it as like as a critique of capitalism whatever is really fun but also like, I think it I think it builds as, like, like an interesting world again like the idea of low expectations but it's still like oh hey this basically appeals to like everyone's childhood and the fact that it incorporates that plus like new things and everything just sort of comes together as one like cohesive whole is crazy how well it works as well as it also worked really fucking well in the sequel uh, I think this is just like one of the one of the weird. Uh, so it's, it's like an anomaly of a film, and I think the fact that it exists and is good is one thing. But it being this great, I understand why it's on your list. I enjoyed this film. Um, I have to go back to that other one more often because I have to. Uh, but I enjoyed it when I watched it. I haven't seen Lego Movie in a while, um, but it was cool. I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, this is like the only time that I think having like, oh, like look at all these IP characters. Like it's the only time it worked. Uh, I think is everyone the 2004 so NBA All Stars. That's my are, favorite are, uh, appearance. Are we all sick of this trend though? At this point, did you guys see Free Guy where he like pulls out like uh, like a Hulk hand or something? And... I love that film. That film was was much better than it deserved to be. Free Guy was good. Did you did you you enjoyed this moment in the movie? Yes, very much so. Oh, I my eyes were in the back of my skull. I was. Uh, Great. <laughs> I don't know, but I really like it. The Lego movie, I think, because they're irreverent about it. All right, uh, LA, that takes on us to your 32. Speaking of uh, animated films, I'm gonna put I'm gonna, I, I've up next my favorite Pixar film, Wally. Hell yeah, right. unacceptable. Go fuck yourself, you pink haired bitch. This is fantastic. Uh, I'm going to draw back to like an analogy I made last week of just like, no one would care about the Liberty Bell if there wasn't a crack in it. And that's how I feel about this movie. Where I think that there's so much amazing stuff in this film. If it was just the the first half of the film, it would just like, I feel like the love for it wouldn't be there. But the fact that we get to go out and see all these things, like, yeah, it's not perfect. But even in, even in its imperfections, I can still fall in love with everything the film is doing. I think like I, I think Jake's is a lot of like the idea of like like a movie is like weirdly optimistic or it like gives him hope in the universe. And I feel that here, where it's just like the fact that you can make a kids film about not only like the dangers of the, like like climate change and everything, like how pollution and everything is gonna destroy the world, but how just a single human just looks up the history of Earth and falls in love with it and, and is literally willing to sacrifice everything he's ever known just to get back and recreate the wonders he found of the past is beautiful. And I love that. And that's even ignoring Wally and Eve, who are two of, maybe like one of my favorite like couples in film period, because they barely share a work together. And you still like, you feel every like arc in their emotional journey and every step, even in the, even in like the like little fucking uh, changes in Wally's eyes, as you see him fall in love with her and it's beautiful. And when they finally share that first kiss and he just like lets go and is sort of shocked by it. I I was really depressed a couple weeks ago. And I watched this and I'm just like, I know, I remember why I love this film so much now. It just picks me up out of like my sadness consistently. 
and I get people with flaws in it. I think John Ratzenberger, like laying pipe in this film as like the side character, not great. But again, I still love all of it because like it's a movie for me. All right. We're at two and a half hours. I've talked about this movie a lot, so I'll keep it simple. First half, super boring. Second half, generic, slapstick, dumb cartoon, action. Uh, top three most overrated Pixar. Everybody else saw it on Wally. Uh, it's opinion. Kirk is bad. Terrible opinion. Yeah. Terrible opinion. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, no, Wally is a, a special. It is top three Pixar. It's maybe the best. It's special. It's it's weird. It's like, it's their art film. It's the weird Pixar art movie. And it, that's the one that it's like, if you were to try to explain what's special about Pixar compared to like, I don't know, like DreamWorks or some shitty animation company. You'd be like, watch Wally and try and imagine any other studio making that. Yeah. 90% of the time, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Look, DreamWorks uh, just got bodied. I am, I am very surprised I don't have waste allocation, load, lift, or earth class in my top 100. Because uh, <laughs> Wally, is, Wally is a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, it is, I think, in my top five Pixar, um, or at least it goes in and out of it because somehow I left it off the my top 100 when it really should be on there. Um, the you care about a robot and a cockroach doing walking for the first half of the film. The love story in this movie is is beautiful and heartbreaking, and even the the second half it does take a dip, but it, it going into um uh whatever his name is who who plays the ship captain i always forget that guy's name uh who does the voice acting uh trying to fight against otto and and, and have them do it and uh you meet the other robots and mo it's just not don ratzenberger because it's not ratzenberger it's, it's um, the uncle from Wizard jeff, jeff garland jeff garland you thank go. you jeff garland um <laughs> uh and then have freaking freaking um anytime i'm on top 100 my mind goes blank if it's not ig yeah. fred willard Fred Willard as an actual human being in it. It's it is just it is it is artful and it is beautiful and you care about things you didn't think you would care about. That's why you love Pixar. Um, it is it is definitely a top five Pixar film. I love it. One of the few Pixar films I've never seen. Scott. Yeah. You're no. Studying so hard for fandom, you should watch Wally. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. All right, Rue, what do you got? Thirty-two. Uh, we're back to it now, Jake. It's Minority Report. Uh, I love this film. Uh, apparently, Philip K. Dick just knows how to make original sci-fi things that are just fucking awesome. Um, the just very iconic scenes and and uh, the the sci-fi um, visual effects and tech in it with the spiders and and uh, freaking uh, pre-crime. The whole moving the 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 screen is just a lot of people just kind of try to mimic that after. Um, and, uh, I think Colin Farrell, it just is underrated in this film. Uh, and he gets screwed so fucking hard. You hate him. And then you're like, and then by the time he, that he gets to where he is at the end of the movie, you're like, oh no, oh no. To be able to do a whole flip on him by the end of the film is great. Uh, I think Samantha Morton is really creepy and really good in this film. The, uh, uh, the precogs are kind of creepy. There's a lot of actual, like, low-key but high-key creepy things in this film uh but works with the aesthetic because the entire movie is just it's really gray 
and really dull, but it's supposed to be um, just because it's the feeling uh, you want uh, in this movie, especially how much, how gray and dull and uh, Tom Cruise really is throughout the film. He just puts on the whole, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going hard on this pre-crime. I'm, I'm definitely going through it until it's me and just knowing that he's a drug addict and he lost his son and everything is it's supposed to be uh, even though it feels gray and dull, the action is is uh, amazing. And it's one of my favorite Neil McDonough films. Uh, I just think he also plays really well off him as well. I love Minority Report. I think it's one of my favorite Steven Spielberg films. Um, it's really, really great. Uh, yeah, I said this earlier today. Uh, yeah, I agree with you about the aesthetic of the movie. I think that uh, the... Um, the aesthetic of Saving Private Ryan kind of changed the way that all like war films, all films really, like most films and all war films looked going forward. And I think that uh, Minority Report kind of had the same effect with like uh, the pan thing and the, the the dour atmosphere and all that stuff you're describing. Uh, so like. Um, I saw this in 2002 and, uh, like I knew who Steven Spielberg was at that point when I was a little kid. He was the only director I knew. I like cut out like clippings I found from entertainment weekly and taped them above my bed. So I was fucking hyped for minority report and our town just got a, a multiplex. It said we used to have to go to the mall and there was like two screens. So we got a multiplex and I was so pumped for this fucking thing. You know when you're a kid and there's like sensory overload from going to the movie theater, like it, it it's like um almost being on a roller coaster. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> right. So like when this movie came out, the sound was calibrated. It felt like so loud, and uh, I specifically remember uh, Samantha Morton, one of the precogs. She like jumps out of the water and yells. Run! And my little yeah. brother just fucking booked it out of the theater, and my heart like dropped into my stomach. I was terrified. This is the most scared I've ever been in a movie ever. Easily, <laughs> I like still proud to this day that I even sat through that after that. So yeah, love this movie. Uh, you guys used a word a couple of times uh, that I think applies really well to this movie: aesthetic. Uh, I love futuristic movies that create a very specific aesthetic and vision for the future. And I think this movie does it well. Like it has like all like the high tech stuff, but I just love little things like the fact that, you know, all the, the science and pseudoscience that goes in the pre kind it, it all comes down to like a little wooden ball and just little things like that, like tactile things like that, just make it feel so much more real. Um, this isn't necessarily top tier Spielberg for me. I just think it's interesting because it's like, a movie that should have been done by like Ridley Scott or Paul Verhoeven or somebody like that. Uh, but it's Spielberg, which just takes that idea and just, you know, flips in a completely different way. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, it's just not as high as some of his other work for me. Um, but it's a really fun sci-fi action thriller, uh, which you don't really get a ton of quality in that subgenre. Um, so I think this is really well done. Everybody else on Minority Report. This is actually my second favorite Spielberg. Like, I really love this film. I've been I've been meaning me, like, meaning to revisit it pretty re like recently just because it's been a while. But I remember like nothing but positives about this. It's one of my favorite sci-fi stories ever, and that's ignoring just even, even like how it was changed and, and adaptation and everything. It's just fucking. 
it's great. One of the few times I think Tom Cruise is just like a good actor in a movie, not just like a good lead. Like he's a great, like he's awesome in this. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Um, yeah, no, Minority Report is super cool. Um, it combines uh, like Spielberg's populist sensibility with, again, like the mind expanding sci fi weird stuff of Philip K. Dick in like a really smooth and effective way. Um, great concept. And Tom Cruise, I don't know what Spence is talking about. He's always great. Uh, can I just add in, too, that there's a valid read on the movie that Samantha Morton is, like, plotting her freedom. Like, that's the whole, actually, what's going on in the movie. So if you watch it again, watch it with that in mind. All right. Uh, Jake, you're 32. At 32, I have Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so my previous one was, like, I said pre- uh, Goodfellas, and this is uh, this is like uh, one of the Goodfellas type movies that he makes. Uh, like Casino is also another one. Uh, it's like the rapid editing and the music video like uh, style. And uh, I could have uh, picked the Goodfellas in this movie's place. I wouldn't want both of them on the list, uh, but I chose The Wolf of Wall Street because I uh, think that it. Uh, deserves the spot just as much uh even though it isn't as old and probably some people are resistant to call it a classic because it hasn't been long enough i think it's obviously it's fairly obvious to me that it's going to be remembered as one of the great martin scorsese movies and a classic uh he made this when he was in his 70s um one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh, where he is uh, throwing money on a secretary and uh, shaving her head as like a crowd, like just like cheers it on in like Sodom and Gomorrah, like excess. And you just see her like, like uh, laugh crying, like she's smiling and tears are dripping down her face. And like, she's capturing all this at once. And it's just, um, it's sickening. It's a sickening thing. And uh, yeah, I think anyone that reads this movie as celebrating wealth and excess uh, is uh, making a bad faith argument or uh, that either that or they don't understand movies or something. I don't know. <laughs> back to back Scorsese. I like that. Um, yeah, the idea that this was made by a 71 year old man is insane. Because this movie has such energy to it and such life. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you that it, I don't think this celebrates it, but I think it's the same thing. I mean, this is another version of Scorsese's crime story where it's not, uh, you know, he's not celebrating it. He's just kind of like giving you a peek into this world. And you're not meant to accept it, but he just lets you see it from their perspective and you understand their feelings on it. And again, it doesn't say this is good and this is acceptable, but it says this is why these people are doing this. This is how they view the world. And um, it kind of gives you that like fly on the wall view of it. Um, but yeah, the, the performances and that's the way it's just it tells the story. It's so fast paced. It's so kinetic. Um, the, the, the cast is fantastic top to bottom another movie they only put john bernthal in for five minutes and it breaks my heart because i want to see that guy so much more um but yeah i i've talked about this one a lot too so i won't say too much more but yeah this is a very strong pick everybody else on wolf of wall street 
even though this is the type of Scorsese movie that I like more. Um, I like the movie, but it is at three hours. It is exhausting. Um, I think that is my main critique of the movie. It just it's just a lot. It's a lot of excess and it starts to wear on you. Whereas like Goodfellas and Casino are more solid at like 220 um, in terms of their running time. I just think there's, again, a, a lot going on here. But, you know, there's a lot of very good parts of the movie. Um, very funny. Like, it's a very funny movie. Um, I, My friend and I used to do the money thing before we did our mock trial rounds in uh, college. We would sit there at the table and go mm, like that like they do in the movie but um and that was fun so but but yeah i mean uh, it, it's it is uh the parts are greater than the whole in this movie is what i would say anybody else uh i agree with jake it's a great movie it's a classic very good movie. yeah this does not work whatsoever uh, I'm not the type, though, to argue that it celebrates Belford at all. I think Scorsese just fails to put him down. I think the movie just doesn't sort of come together at all. I think it's a very just sort of messy, sloppy film that while it has, like, it has a good energy to it, I think that its actual story and its structure just doesn't work. Uh, this goes in that pile with, like, basic white film bro dudes all love this film, and I will never understand it or get behind it. Or we are none basic of this works. white film bro dudes. I know. It's that's why, that's why half my list is fucking queer, Jake. I'm offering a new perspective. You had American Psycho. <laughs> I mean, like, and that's the thing. I think it puts. I think it puts down the culture pretty well. Other people disagree, and this is one of the films where, like, I could see that perspective, but it just doesn't work for me whatsoever. And I've given it tries and tried to just see the new perspective. It just never. It's never worked like that for me, and I don't know I, if it I ever think, will. I think that it's that you empathize so much with the characters who encounter Jordan Belford uh, rather than Jordan himself. If you view it through that perspective, you might. I think I think it. the best scene that encapsulates that is the scene, and I forget exactly where it's at in the movie, but they're talking about the one guy that married the one girl in the office, and then he's and he was like like real like this just like throwaway line like he killed himself you know he, he slit his wrist two weeks later or well i'll rephrase it but like just like the start is that you're like that just like takes all because like up, up to that it's like big party 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 suicide and you're like oh and it just kind of like it's like a punch to the gut you know so i think that's really like encapsulate that's for that um all right moving on from that we're gonna get to everybody's number one for the week scott what is your 31 uh, my 31, Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece, Memories of Murder. Another one of those uh, true crime procedurals that I am, uh, you know, uh, putty in the hands of, I guess I would say. Um, yeah, and but it has like, it's so, it, it's such a uniquely Bong Joon-ho movie, like it just has that incredible meshing of genres that he is able to pull off without anything without it ever not seeming cohesive like the movie has all these you know despite being this really dark thrilling story of like the search for south korea's first serial killer like it also has these moments of levity um that like are just again per perfect 
moments to diffuse the tension, but you know, it gets you right back into the story. You never feel like it, they're like distracting or anything like that. It's like, it's got humor in it that just works like in same way that parasite does. Like, again, it's just, it, that's bong style. Um, but you know, definitely fits alongside a movie like Zodiac, um, or even a movie like cure, um, which I was talking about. I just watched as like, a movie where there are no answers, like it's all about the search for answers where there are really no answers and like the futility of that sometimes. Um, and uh, yeah, just watching the two cops, Song Kang Ho and then Kim Sang Kyung play the two cops and the way that they like basically become each other by the end of the movie, because Song Kang Ho is like the bumbling country cop at the beginning of the movie who's just trying to like frame someone for the cameras and kim sang kyung is like the he's the mercenary called in from the very professional guy called in from you know out of town to like actually professionally investigate this and by the end song kang ho is the one like hey we need to try and actually get the right guy here and and kim is the one who's like in their torture like advocating for torture of the suspects um so it's just fascinating to watch like how the obsession takes over both of them in different ways um also the cop who just flying hits gets everyone with a flying drop kick is uh is iconic uh, again talking about those moments of levity haunting ending um but also just like some really pulsating like there's a foot chase sequence that just like the score has like the percussion going and it just like it gets your heart pounding um but it has those procedural moments that i really like too of people just like you know answering phone calls looking at documents like putting clues together in an office um and it it's so satisfying some of those moments when like the puzzle pieces do come together but that final piece never fits into place um mem mem memories of murder is an amazing movie if you like like mystery films if you like stuff like zodiac and you haven't seen this yet what are you waiting for i finally got to watch it. i've been waiting to see this for a long time obviously finally got to watch it just a couple months ago uh and you and i talked about it uh previously scott like i liked it but i think for me this is one where kind of like how we were talking about in the mood for love a week or two ago where just the way this story is told um the language barrier was a little bit of a hold up for me where it just took me a second to get or a few minutes to get caught up. And I think that kind of hurt the movie for me. Um, I think on rewatch, I'm going to like a lot more when I know what's going on and, you know, have that complete picture and just go back and, you know, kind of absorb myself in it. Uh, but yeah, I love like that idea. Like you said, like there's opposing character arcs where they both start at one point and they end in the opposite spot. Um, it's just really cool. Uh, and the, the, the ending's great. Um, so yeah, I am looking forward to going back and um, rewatching this. Like I said, it's probably going to go up my estimation. Um, just haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, has anybody else seen Memories of Murder? Nope. You muted. Yeah, you muted, Ray. <laughs> no, I haven't. I should see this. Film. Yeah, I haven't really seen it since I got really into uh, Bong Joon Ho, like um, post. Uh, the um the train one <laughs> snowpiercer snowpiercer. <laughs> snowpiercer right i was thinking like ah it's something train so i'm glad you guys corrected me there <laughs> i would have never well, i think it's on i think it's on a hulu and criterion channel now at least it is on criteria for sure yeah. right so like i got into korean movies because an old boy like a long time ago or whatever you know and uh 
I remember this one. I'm thinking like, oh, this is like a David Fincher movie. Like this is like Zodiac, and by memory, it lives looking like Mindhunter or something visually. And uh, I really want to revisit it, knowing how uh, outside the lines Bong Joon Ho uh, tends to color. You know. All right, uh, Spence, thirty-one. My thirty-one is my favorite Wes Anderson movie, Moonrise Kingdom. Again, I'm a sucker for romance, and I think that like the central romance in this film is just one of my favorites. I think it captures just childhood love and infatuation so well. The idea of you're so talked up in all these big emotions that you're willing to drop everything and change your life because you've got like a taste of what you think the rest of your life is going to be about. I think that... Uh, the two leads who I'm like scrolling to find their names right now and it's not coming up on Wikipedia. Jared Gilman and Kara, Kara Hayward. Thank you. Are, they're not even starring on Wikipedia. This is fucking dumb. Are just so great at just providing the idea of like, honestly, a lot of people that like, I, I, I saw myself in them and also had a lot of friends who were like them. Just sort of like uh, the kid who's just like really passionate about his, about Boy Scouts and following through and doing everything while also being a little, a little above it all. And the girl who's sort of just dejected and not really connected to the world because of her shitty home life and everything going on there. And they find themselves as kindred spirits. And and they feel like the entire world is against them because it sort of is because they're making this awful decision. And that's just I, – I think that uh, Anderson has sort of lost his – I won't say like, like, like not entirely like lost his dramatic touch. But I think his films tend to have – be a little bit more distant from their lead characters more recently. But this feels to me like like a like a continuation of like Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums, where like you truly empathize and you're there and you understand every single emotion the characters are going through. Also, Anderson style is always there. Incredible soundtrack is always there. Bill Murray is always there. I just this film is just like a, a wave of comfort for me, and it's the it's another one where if I'm in a bad mood. I can just watch it and I can just see like first love. And I think that's just a beautiful thing to capture on film. Yeah, this definitely is my favorite Wes Anderson. I've only seen it once, um, but I feel like he in general has a very, very much like a child likeness about him that he expresses in his work. And I mean that in a positive sense. So for him to make a movie about kids is like a perfect fit. Um, I think the setting of this movie is really good. How it's on that Island. Uh, and just, uh, yeah, I like it. Uh, I don't, like I said, it's not top tier for me, but I've, I, I want to go back. I'm actually gonna go back down and watch. I've watched, I took my daughter to see uh, French dispatch and that was her first Wes Anderson. So she wants to go back and watch them all. now. So I'll probably go see them all and I'll revisit this. Um, so it could go up. I could like it better. Uh, revisit it's just not there now. Uh, Scott, you seem pretty excited about this one. What's everybody else feel about uh, Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah, this is my favorite Wes Anderson movie also. All, almost made the list. I'm looking forward to watching French Dispatch this week. Actually, though, I kind of think this is a lot different from his early movie. Like, I think Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach, who have worked together on multiple movies, have the same trajectory where, like, their early movies kind of have a mean streak about them. Like, Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums, you really don't like a lot of the characters. Um, but this movie, like, and his recent movies in general, he has been a lot more, he's become more of a softie and 
Bombback kind of has done the same thing when now that he's pairing up with Gerwig in a lot of his movies. But um, he's become a softie. So I really like stuff like this and Grand Budapest and Isle of Dogs, even, you know, most recently, um, that uh, is just a lot more. I mean, it has people you like in it. And I also think that um, the setting, like Kirk mentioned, the setting of like a scout camp is a perfect setting for a Wes Anderson movie. Like that just is hmm. the perfect setting for his aesthetic. So um, I absolutely love this movie. Another one of those that was like in my 110, 120 range that almost made the list. I've come to learn that hey, uh, Wes Anderson is not, not for me most of the time. So I haven't seen this. Uh, yeah. Um, Bruce Willis uh, is really good in this movie. It's weird that he shows up and like Bruce Willis usually isn't good in, in movies now. And he's really good in this. Uh, he shows up for a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, yeah, I love this movie too. I can't help but feel that in the wake of Grand Budapest Hotel, this kind of can get put into dry run category for that movie, even though it shouldn't. It has its own uh, thing. It's about kids. It's delightful, but yeah, uh, good movie. All right, Amaru, uh, you're 31 for the night. 100% chalk for me, the Avengers. <laughs> so uh, I think ever since uh, Infinity War and Endgame, there's been this talk about how people are going back and watching the Avengers and saying it doesn't doesn't hold up. It's not as good. It's it's not great movie. I don't know what the fuck y'all are talking about. This movie is amazing. It 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 delivered on something that a lot of people didn't think ever would be able to ever happen. Uh and it delivered so beautifully. I sat and did the 12-hour run um from Iron Man all the way through to the midnight showing of Avengers. Um and it delivered on all fronts. Um putting together the team at the beginning of the film um, saying, you go get the big guy. Uh, and and, and uh, Natasha says, uh, Stark doesn't like me much. He's like, no, the other big guy. And you're just, it, it's, it's, it's fan service in a great way because it actually works. Joss Whedon, as much as a shithead, he just knows how to make mm. characters work together and then knows how to gut punch you in, in the throat. When he kills off Coulson, um, just it, it's like peak. It's peak. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. and his quips uh, when when Phil cut when Coulson comes in and, and Pepper Potts is like, "Oh, Phil, his name is his first name is Agent." Um, just every, the little things here and there are so hilarious. Um, I think Mark Ruffalo does a really good job of actually balancing that anger. And when he says, "I'm always angry," delivers that really well. The Battle of New York is a great, really long action sequence. Um, and, um, the, I think the, the, um, even though Hawkeye gets benched a little bit too much, I think the scene where he comes in and, and jacks the, the, uh, helicarrier is underrated, uh, uh, for an action sequence because people forget it within that is the first Thor and Hulk fight, which is just so great. And I haven't even talked about Loki yet. Burdened with glorious purpose, and Loki as a villain, Tom Hiddleston was born to play that character. Um, and it's just peak, peak Loki, um, at the time. And you look back at it, and, and for what the time it was and what it is, it is still an amazing, amazing film. 
Um, and and it's it's just it's beautiful. I, I love this film to death. Yeah, um, I grew up reading comic books, uh, and you know, in the '90s they started making all these comic book movies, and I the thing I hate about them so much is that they were all in their own self-contained little world because that's not how comic books work. You know, you always see you know other people popping up, they're teaming up, they're you know. And the fact that these were all so far removed from each other, I always hated that. And so when they started to build this idea uh, of the Avengers, you know, we knew it was coming. Uh, but to, when it, to finally get it, to finally see all these characters uh, in the movies, like in the comics, uh, was just so joyous for my you know little comic book nerd heart. And uh, they did it so well. Not only just the, the the team itself, but the characters are all so well done. Their interactions are perfect. Uh, just everybody gets their, you know, almost everybody, like you mentioned Hawkeye, but uh, almost everybody gets their chance to shine and really just do what they're great at. And um, just that, you know, the fact that like they're ant antagonistic towards the beginning and, you know, they're fighting, that's just such a hallmark of these characters. If you go back and look at the history, that's always, you know, the idea that they're not supposed to be together. And again, you mentioned Joss Whedon, you know, you look at something like Firefly, he's so good at that kind of bringing together people who really shouldn't be together and making it work. Um, so, yeah, I still love this movie. I still think it's great. Um, I mean, yeah, it got bigger and it got better with, you know, and uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, but this is still a solid movie. It's all right. Uh, everybody else on Avengers. It's an above average MCU movie, which I understand why it makes lists for that reason. But <laughs> y'all know my feelings on uh, comic book movies. Um, we've talked about some really good ones, actually, so far. I even have a couple on my list. Um, but I think I'd actually... I actually do like Black Panther, which you had last week or the week before, a little bit more than this one. Um, but it has fun moments. It was still Joss Whedon before he like jumped off the deep end um, in terms of his dialogue. So that part of it works really well. Like he he definitely knows how to write like the whole putting the team together stuff. Um, and being the big Mark Ruffalo fan that I am, I love seeing his introduction to everything. This does not work really. Uh, I, I think part of it's like I think the MCU sort of like moved on beyond it. I think looking back, it just it's it's sort of like unexciting. But also, I think it was just I think I think the biggest problem with it is honestly Whedon's direction. Like I, I think I think the script is fine. I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of applause with it. But the way he frames things is just weird. Like the entire film, I feel unsettled because like his shot composition, everything, is just like inherently it 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 it, it takes me out of the movie, and also it sort of sexualizes Black Widow a lot in a really uncomfortable way. But yeah. like I I think that yeah, it's the film just is just like it's it's a series of like film things that should work, but the way it's put together, I think, makes it fall apart for me. Oh yeah, I really like the Avengers. Uh, people forget how uh, this seems like an impossible task to put all these things together. It felt like, ah, oh, like you can't put like Thor and the Hulk in the same movie. That doesn't make any fucking sense. And uh, 
I don't know. They pulled it off. Like no one, it just made sense in the movie. And it wasn't a whole movie where they were like, we're building a team. Like the, the movie just has a flow to it that you're like, oh, are they building a team? Like halfway through the movie, it doesn't have that boring, rigid uh, structure, like Dirty Dozen style or whatever. All right, uh, Jake, uh, you're going to finish up for the night with your 31. Okay, so instead of adding on a nice, happy movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I realize I have a lot of bummers on my list now. I should really uh, consider that. What's wrong with me? Am I just trying to torture Kirk here? Uh, yeah, I really uh, enjoy Manchester by the Sea, even though I think it's pretty shitty that... Uh, uh, Casey Affleck was nom even nominated for an Oscar that year because of um, some of the things that were coming out. Uh, they just shouldn't have, even though I think that Kenneth Lonergan's movie is amazing. Uh, it does something that uh, it's always like it's somewhere in your mind when you think about it enough, and it's a horrible thing to think about, but that there are just some things that you're like, you can never get over, you know, where it's like, there is that nightmare scenario where there's something where it's like, nah, like you don't get over this. Like, and I think a lot of people live with those things, a lot more people than you know. And um, to dramatize it uh, like that, and to, um, instead of giving you the the satisfying, ah, and then he got over this thing, it's, it's about uh, finding the joy in between uh, all of these little quiet moments that he shares with his nephew. And uh, it, it's just incredible how much that works for me. Uh, it took me a long time to get to this movie because I knew what a bummer it was. Um, and I watched it. I really liked it. I think Affleck's great. I think uh, Lucas Hedges is great. I liked the relationship. And I liked that idea of, you know, that new relationship forcing him to like kind of come back, you know, to go come back in like the real world or not. Um, but yeah, this is just one I enjoy, but I enjoyed, but I probably won't go back to a lot because of just the content is not a lot of fun. Um, but technically there's lots of, lot to like here. Uh, everybody else in Manchester by the sea. Uh, this movie is amazing. Um, and if it wasn't one of the most crushingly sad movies, like, that I've ever seen. It would probably be one of my favorite movies. I own it on Blu-ray. I don't think I've ever opened the Blu-ray and actually watched it though, because it's just, I have to work, work up the courage to do it um, because it's rough, but this is easily Kenneth Lonergan's best work. Um, and yeah, Casey Affleck is very likely a terrible person, but his acting in the movie is incredible. And the police station scene, like will just like, destroy you and michelle williams also absolutely makes the most of her one scene in the movie um it's oh yeah it's an absolute hardest. emotional tour de force um for that reason though it's just it's hard for me to say it's a favorite but it is an amazing movie speaking of movies that don't work uh, i don't get it i really don't so here, here's the thing fuck lucas hedges uh, he's not a good actor I've, I've liked him in one film that's way erased. Everything else, I really just... Actually, I started liking Blade Bird too. Everything else, I could not give a shit about him. He is not a convincing actor. But I think also this movie is, like, really manipulative. It's like tragedy porn. Where it's like, here's everything and fuck you, be sad, be depressed. 
I'm making fucking art. I don't get it. I, I, I think Lonergan purposefully wrote like the most depressing movie possible for no real reason. It just, it feels like it's trying to just make you feel emotions because you're sad it's good. I, I, I need to revisit it because again, like this is very like hot-headed and like contrarian, but I, I just, I don't, I don't see the purpose in a film like this. Cause it's not really, to me, it's not telling a story. It's trying to get you to feel sympathy for getting an Oscar. Don't think I'm gonna like this film, so I'm not watching it. It's <laughs> definitely not a fun one, Rue. If, you, if you're going for fun, this isn't what you want to watch. It's a it's a day ruiner yeah. for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, I got to pick a winner here. Uh, your winner this week, Amaru Moses. Hey, I got hey. Oh. <laughs> uh, Amaru, you win because you're the only one who didn't have an actively bad movie on your list. Uh, yeah, I think your low point was probably Enemy of the State, but like I said, even that's not a bad movie. It's just, I, it's not maybe more than top 10, but I mean, I like everything. Like, I could watch all 10 of your movies and have a pretty good couple of days doing that. Um, so, uh, yeah, you're definitely number one. Number two is Jake. Uh, Jake was close. Um, Jake had some lower lows, but he had some pretty good highs too. Raging Bull, Wolf of Wall Street, The Fly. Um, good list, Jake. Um, again, you have less to complain about this week than some people did. Uh, number three, this is or this is rough. Uh, I think uh, I got to give it to Spence. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Spence had some weaknesses on his, but he also had Pop Star. He had Moonrise Kingdom, which I like. Uh, Zodiac is good. Blind Spotting is really solid. Didn't talk about Short Turn Twelve, which I got to probably the best movie I got to watch this week for this list. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. And then Scott, uh, he, you've been treading that bottom, falling out the whole time. Finally, finally got here. Uh, yeah, you know why? But Days of Confused before uh, before Sunrise, uh, Clueless. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's going to be Blair Witch is good, but yeah, you, you just couldn't dig yourself out of that hole. Um, but yeah, uh, that's it. Still anybody's game. Uh, things have changed a lot. Uh, did last time people got really hot in their top 30 and, uh, really changed the way things go. So stay tuned. I uh, will be in the 20 next week. I uh, hope you all enjoy us. See you then. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow, I hurt my arm. Bob, and I'd expect everybody to do everything. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine.